Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jamming you with your daily dose of UFC. And ladies and gentlemen, we're in a new year. It is 2024, the first episode of 2024. It's crazy. I can't believe it. 2023 is already over. I can still somewhat remember the start of 2023. Yeah, I mean, it was a long year. I Personally, it was a good year for me. Ups and downs. A lot of ups, though. A lot of ups. And any downs I had were always fixed. Any, any issues I had always recuperated. But yeah, we're fun. We're back. It's been, I think, think a week since our last episode I can't remember I think I did my last episode um Thursday last week Monday last week I can't remember but all that matters is we are back here and this is our season one finale this is the final episode of uh, our season one I'm calling it um because basically um on uh RSS podcasting the site I use you can input um, what season of your show it's in, because some podcasts do uh, sh- seasons, I guess, and this is going to be our uh, f- season finale of sorts. Um, season two, we're going to be changing it up a bit. I'll be adding in markers on all my episodes to tell what is going on, like for segments and stuff, but I'm not going to do that today, as I don't really have a lot planned out for that. Um, I'll really need to be in depth, so I'm going to do that when I'm back at college. And something that I'm going to be working on is potentially editing and filming myself so we can actually get some clips we can post on uh, the TikTok, maybe Instagram Reels or whatever. We're going we're gonna to work on that. I don't really know if that works, so if anyone knows software engineering or at all, um, help help a brother out. That would be very appreciative. But on today's episode, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Of course, week 17 of the NFL season went down this past weekend. We're going to be talking about all of those matchups. And as well, also, we're going to be uh, predicting week 18 of the NFL season. We do still have information coming in on like who's playing who for starting quarterbacks and the stakes for every game, but um, we're going to drop our picks today uh, just because I have some plans the next uh, four days as I go back to uh, college. I go back, start my f- spring semester of my junior year on Monday the 8th, Monday the 8th, but I go back Sunday. So I'm going to try and get back for the Vikings game so I can actually uh, watch that because I'm really pumped for the end of the NFL season. It's been a fun one. So yeah, I'm going to be talking about a whole lot of football. That'll probably take a while. Our uh, surprise topic, if you will, I guess I, we have a number of things, but um, we'll be ranking every single pay-per-view in 2023 for the UFC, our final UFC ranking. We've ranked um, we've ranked championship fights, we've ranked pay-per-view main events, we've ranked fight night main events, we've ranked fight nights, our final one of the We've even done our awards on our my episode with uh, special guest Ryan Benecki, um, but to round out our uh, UFC rankings, we'll be ranking every single pay-per-view that happened in 2023. Very, very excited for that. I went through, this one was way easier to rank than fight nights, by the way, so I was actually able to put some thought into each of them, we'll analyze them, point out the good, point out the bad. We got 14 pay-per-views to rank. Going to talk about some new shows, new movies I've seen. Of course, new uh, UFC news, and we're even going to be looking at Brett Okamoto, notable ESPN um, analyst for the UFC, uh, his top 12 fights he wants for 2024, and um, yeah, just a whole number of things that we're going to be talking about today on the Surprise Jab Podcast. Very pumped, very excited. Um, One show I've actually been watching a lot is Modern 
family. Absolutely love that sitcom. The sitcom. The writers are amazing. I just the jokes, just the callbacks, so funny. I love Phil. I love Claire. I love the Dumfies, the Pritchetts, Mitchell and Cam. I honestly think are the greatest gay characters in all of history, in all of TV writing. They are so funny. And what makes it funny is they don't push this like LGBT progressive. They're just two guys who are in love. They have a kid, and it's so funny. And what makes it even funnier to me is that Cam isn't gay in real life, but Mitchell is. So I think it's even f- more funny that it's a straight guy playing a gay guy, and he looks more gay than the gay guy. It's just it's absolutely hilarious. I love that show. Jay is such a good TV dad. Gloria and Manny, hilarious. I mean, I could just go on and on about that. But yes, I only have Hulu like another week or so, and I'm almost at the end of season six. So I don't know if I'm going to get four seasons binged in that amount of time, but we'll uh, we'll see. Let's get right into it, though, with our new UFC news. We don't have a lot. We don't really have a lot to talk about. Um, there are uh, There's a rumor going around at the moment that Leon Edwards, your current welterweight champion, could be defending against number two ranked Bilal Muhammad at UFC 300, defending his belt against Bilal Muhammad. I don't know any truth of that, any validity to that, but I will say it's people are worried that's going to be the main event. There's no shot that they make Bilal Muhammad versus Leon Edwards the main event of UFC 300. At best, at best, it's going to be a co-main title, title fight with another title fight as the main event, or there's three title fights and it's the first of three. You know, they've done that before on UFC 259, on UFC, um, trying to think of another one where they've done three title shots. I, I know they, they have, was UFC 259 the last one where they did three, two, UFC 245 they did back when, uh, that was actually a fun one. Uh, the first time Usman and Covington fought, the first time Max Holloway, and Volkanovski fought, and you had Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamy. That was back in 2019, December. That, I watched that at Buffalo Wild Wings with my mom. But um, I know, I don't really feel like Leon Edwards versus Bilal Muhammad is exciting at all. It'd be a little rematch from their 2021 fiasco, but I think they should give it to Shafkat Rachmanov. He's currently ranked number three. Big win over Steven Thompson uh, at UFC 296. 18-0, all finishes. The farthest he's gone is into round three of a fight, which he finished against Jeff Neal. I mean, I think that's more exciting, but I do get that Bilal might deserve it more. We'll see what the UFC elects to go with. Also, Hamza Chimaev, uh, number nine ranked middleweight, undefeated 13-0. and Now I believe, I believe he's 13-0 and or 14, beats me. Actually, I think, yeah, was he 12-0 and after the Gilbert Burns win? Then was he 13? He might be 14-0, Hamzat might be. But um, he is not looking well. He just posted a picture saying he'll be out for a bit, won't be able to fight uh, in the start of 2024 due to uh, he looked all puffy. I don't know if he had an allergic reaction. He's had a sickness or something. Maybe he was pumping himself full of some steroids and they went bad. I doubt that, though. But um, who knows what's going on with Hamzat. I pray that he recovers soon so we can see him fight. But very interesting what the UFC is going to elect to do with him. Currently being ranked at number nine in the middleweight division. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with him. Speaking of middleweight, I mean, the biggest fight that was recently announced, I think it was today, actually, January 3rd or January the 2nd. Huge middleweight main event, sadly, at the UFC Apex. Sadly, not in front of a crowd. But number five ranked middleweight Marvin Vittori will be taking on number eight ranked rising contender Brendan Allen in the main event of UFC uh, Vegas 89 going down at the Apex April 6th. So this will be the final event before UFC 300. It'll be our little appetizer. little appetizer to kick off April before our huge, momentous UFC 300. Brendan 
Allen's on absolute tear. I think he's on five-fight win streak. Four of those are submission wins. I mean, he's been an absolute killer. A perfect 2023. I mean, he finishes Andre Munez. He finishes uh, Bruno Silva. And he finishes Paul Craig. I mean, it just does not get any better than that. Love Brendan Allen. I know some guys hate him, but he's super fun. I also love Marvin Vittori, guys. So durable, yet to be finished in his career. We're bound to be having a good fight right there. Exciting stuff there. Also exciting was Brad Okamoto, as I just mentioned, released his 12 MMA fights he hopes to see uh, last year. 4.5 out of his 12 came true. I say 4.5 because I think that um, a fight of his that he wanted to happen was booked but then got canceled. Can't really remember, but um, before we get into the rest of a uh, lot of NFL talk and stuff, let's uh, let's analyze. Let's analyze what his twelve fights he wants and if they're gonna if they're gonna end up even happening because I'm skeptical at times. So his number one fight he wants to see is John Jones versus Tom Aspinall for the UFC heavyweight championship. John Jones, of course, your current heavyweight champion, beat Cyril Gaon in March of 2023. Tom Asmal, your interim heavyweight champion, just won that interim title at uh, UFC 295 at Madison Square Garden against Sergey Pavlovich. Yeah, Tom Aspinall, I think, is a realist, though. He uh, he said he wants the winner of Curtis Blades and Halton Almeida, which is going down in March at UFC 299. Uh, those are two top five heavyweights right there. And Aspinall's kind of thinking, you know, like, John Jones needs some time to recover. The UFC still wants to do John Jones versus Stipe, but um, if John wins that, if Stipe maybe pulls out, Aspinall is right there, ready to step in, and I think Aspinall is a lot of people, including mine, is, I think real heavyweight champion, he's been more active than John Jones, his wins have looked better than John Jones as of late, and you know, it's impressive that John came back and beat Shogun, he wants to defend against Stipe, but let's be real, is he going to want to fight again after this Stipe fight? I don't think so, so I'm unfortunately going to say this fight doesn't happen. Um, another fight Okamoto won was John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. We all know that that never came to fruition, but I appreciate the thinking. His number two fight he wants is Israel Adesanya versus Hamza Chimaev, two top ten middleweights. Of course, Israel Adesanya, your former middleweight champion, said he was not going to fight till 2027. Yeah, that's all BS. Adesanya will most likely be back next year. Of course, we talked about how Hamza is a little under the weather, a little sick, so... Who knows when this fight would happen, maybe summer, late 2024, but I do think that is a realistic fight. I think it makes sense. It would be a great grappling test for her uh, Adesanya, and an easy shot back to a belt. And for Hamzat, this is another big fight to prove he can hang with actual middleweights, because, I mean, his last win was against Usman, who's a welterweight, so... I'm going to say that fight does happen. So I'm going to say one of the two fights that he has listed are going to happen. And of course, the big news um, for this third fight, everyone's talking about it. I was going to bring it up, but once I saw the list, I was like, you know what, I'll just wait till we get to it. Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. If no one saw, on December 31st, McGregor released a video saying he's going to fight Michael Chandler at International Fight Week, which would be in the final week of June, I believe, at UFC 302 if the dates are aligning for the UFC events, in the main event against Michael Chandler, and at middleweight, 185 pounds, uh, Michael Chandler said he's in, I doubt the UFC actually makes this at 185 pounds, at best it'd probably be 170, but um, man, Conor McGregor hopefully coming back, sad it's not UFC 300, understandable though, because if McGregor's the main event, you can't have any title fights, so... That's just how the business works. It would just it just wouldn't make sense. You ne- you never put uh, unless it's wrestle. WWE is different than UFC. You can't put 
um, belts below a guy on UFC, but you can do that, such as WrestleMania 28, when The Rock and John Cena main evented without a belt, and CM Punk and Chris Jericho was the uh, co-main event, honestly, if you want to call that in WWE terms. Um, I, I think that fight is going to happen. I don't know when, but Conor McGregor wants it, Michael Chandler wants it, and the fans want it. We don't care if Conor McGregor wins. We don't care if Michael Chandler wins. We just want to see these two fight. It has been, oh my, it's going to be three years for McGregor. It's going to be close to a year and a half, maybe even two, since Michael Chandler last fought, so... I'm going to say that fight happens. Next up at number four, Leon Edwards versus your current lightweight champion, Islam Makhachev, in a double title shot uh, attempt for Islam Makhachev. I think this is a realistic um, fight that could happen. The UFC might even do it for UFC 300. The main event could be Islam um, fighting against Leon, and it could be a reward since Islam um, fought Volkanovski twice. could be like him, the UFC, saying, okay, Islam, now you can try and become double champion. I don't think this fight should happen this year. I think both of these guys are dominant. They'll reign over their divisions. I think the biggest obstacles to them are Shavkat for Leon and Armin Tezukrian for Islam. But I think this could be a fight in 2025. If they could sneak it in 2024, I would like it. But I am going to say this does not happen this year. But I do like it for both of these guys. At number five, he has Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera, too. Um, of course, this fight is booked for the main event of UFC 299 in March. Very excited for that card overall. It's going to be a banger. But um, I like that he put it here as a fight that he wishes to happen because fight cancellations always occur. This could be rebooked later for the year. I'm hoping this stays on UFC 299 or we might have some issues. But um, I very much like this, and I say it will come true. The rematch between the only man who's beaten Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera, and your current bantamweight king, Sean O'Malley. Number six, we have Zhang Wei Li versus number two, women's strawweight undefeated 10-0 Tatiana Suarez. I love this fight. It could very well be the next fight um, for the women's strawweight title. Zhang Wei Li is so dominant. So dominant. Her only losses, her only losses are to Rose Nama Yunus, who shockingly KO'd her at UFC 261 with a head kick. And then Rose Nama Yunus beat her again later that year in November at UFC 268 in a very close split decision win. Love Zhang Wei Li. She is such an entertaining fighter to watch. Only got to see her once this past year, but Tatiana returned, went 2-0, two finishes. This fight is going to happen this year. I'm riding with it. So what does that put us at? I think one, two, three, uh, three of the six that he's listed. Okay, so right now we're at 50%. Number seven, we're jumping out of the UFC realm into a different MMA organization, the PFL heavyweight division, where Francis Ngannou could be taking on Henan Ferrara. Henan Ferrara, if no one knows, is the current PFL heavyweight champion, equally powerful knockout power. He's six foot Eight. I mean, what is he? He's uh, like 250 pounds, 85-inch reach. Absolutely insane. I love this fight. I think it very well happened. It's looking like Ngannou is going to have an MMA fight this year. So we'll, we'll, we'll say it will happen. But because um, after watching Deontay Wilder versus whoever the heck he fought, I don't see Deontay Wilder ever fighting again. That guy's a joke. He was talking about doing like ayahuasca, which is like some very strong weed or drug and like just tripping out. I don't I don't know what's going on with that, but um, so I say this fight does happen. So I say, um, where are we at? Uh, four out of seven, I say happening. At number eight, the fight that Okamoto wants is Marab Dweveshelli versus Henry Cejudo. Your number two and three, number two and four, five uh, bandwagon contenders. Marab, of course, is on the run of a lifetime. I think he's on a nine-fight unbeaten streak or whatever, win streak, I should say, win streak. Um, 
insane wrestling. And Henry Cejudo, of course, Olympic gold medalist, former double champion in flyweight and bantamweight. This fight is booked for UFC 298, I believe. Hopefully it happens. Hopefully it happens. But um, I say if it does, the winner of this gets the next bantamweight title shot. So this fight is booked. Hopefully it will happen. We're going to assume it happens, which will give us uh, six out of eight fights, I believe, will happen this year. At number nine, we have Colby Covington versus Dustin Poirier at welterweight. I love this fight. I think it is it's easily what should be next. Colby Covington just has... He's in that spot right now where he should fight his rivals. He's fought in Tyron Woodley in 2020. He's fought in Colby... Uh, he's fought in Jorge Masvidal in 2022. And now, in a, basically, he's on a little pattern. You know, he fights, he fights a rival. You know, he fought Usman in 2019 for the title. Then in 2020... Fights Tyrone Woodley, then 2021 fights Usman, then in 2022 fights Masvidal, 2023 fights Leon. He's averaging one fight a year. I think they should do this, and Dustin Poirier has no, no other options at lightweight. He doesn't want to fight Armin Tezukrian. He doesn't want to fight Matus Gamera. He doesn't want to fight Hafal Fazif. He wants to fight guys who are already at the top. You should do this fight. Welterweight, you can make it five rounds. It could be the main event of a pay-per-view next year. Just a random pay-per-view in this August, August pay-per-view right there, boom. Or just on a card. I know I'm. I'm gonna say this happens. I. Uh, it's just. It's kind of like a fantasy fight at the moment. But um, I'm very optimistic the UFC could get this done. It's the only person who I say would decline it would be Dustin Poirier because he doesn't want to get outgrappled by Colby. But who knows? Colby looked out of place last December. At number ten, we have Zhang Wei Li versus Alexa Grasso in a double title attempt for Zhang Wei Li at women's flyweight. I like this. Both women were tweeting about it. Your current flyweight champion, Alexa Grasso, your current strawweight women's champion, Zhang Wei Li. They want to do it at UFC 300. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I very much realistically seeing this occurring after both women defend their belt. Because let me be honest. Let me be honest with you. Manon Fiorot and Aaron Blanchfield are two top three women's flyweights. They're going to battle. Winner should get the next title shot against Alexa Grasso. You have Tatiana Suarez and um, Jan Chayonen, two top five, top three women's strawweights. They both deserve a title shot, so choose between one of them to fight Zhang Wei Li. I say if both women defend that, towards the end of the year, we do a little double title shot. I like that. Um, so I'm going to say right now, um, heading into the 11th one, I've, the 10 fights we've listed, I'm going to say seven. Seven out of them are going to come true. Um, actually, we're at, I think we're at nine. Nine out of, or eight out of ten. At number 11, Max Holloway versus Iatopura. I love this. Max Holloway, the number one featherweight that's not a champion in the world. And Iatopura, who has just been on the run of a lifetime, undefeated 13 or 14 and 0, coming off a huge 2023, which saw him just obliterate Josh Emmett the year before, beat uh, Jai Herbert and Bryce Mitchell. Iotopira fighting uh, Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 298 for the featherweight championship. Going to be an absolute war there. And if he gets past him, or even if he loses, I think a fight with Max Holloway is perfect for um, both of these guys. Max Holloway, if if Max Holloway is going to stay at featherweight, all he can do is keep fighting these up-and-comers, keep beating them, and the UFC will be forced to give him one last title shot. We'll see what they do, but... um. I don't know, this is very optimistic to do it this year, just based upon the fact that we don't know what will happen if he wins or loses. But I'm going to say, because this is going to be my prediction, spoiler for my February UFC 298 prediction, that Itopira finishes and wins against Volkanovski, and that you could easily do this fight later in the year. So I'm going to say this happens. So as we head to our number 12 fight, um, it's in the PFL again. It's between Aaron Pico and Clay Collard. 
Um, Aaron Pico, Bellator, lightweight fighter, Clay Collard, uh, lightweight PFL fighter. Um, I have no idea about either of those guys too much. I occasionally will catch highlights of them, but um, I'm just going to say it doesn't happen, just to, just to be controversial. So I'm going to say nine out of the 12 fights that uh, Brett Okamoto listed will happen. I mean, last year he was very optimistic. I think in 2021 he had GSP fighting Habib. He was very he was very optimistic that past year, but... um. Man, a lot of exciting, a lot of exciting fights to come in 2024. I'm, uh, I'm liking what Brett Okamoto is thinking, but I'm more interested to see what Dana White does with UFC 300. As we have three confirmed fights, most likely going to be a 14 fight card. At, at least you could see 12 fights. We'll see what happens though. Check it in in my movie realm with all of my uh, TV shows I watch. Of course, I watch Modern Family, but I'm not going to cover every Modern Family episode I've watched. Um, I have, of course, been watching Monarch Legacy of Monsters on Apple Plus, Apple TV or whatever. Um, stars Kurt Russell and his son Wyatt Russell. It's also got the guy from Workaholics. He was in the movie I watched, How to Be Single. You guys recognize him. Typical comedy actor. Plays a serious role, though. Um, basically, it's like the part of the Godzilla Kong universe of sorts. Um, episodes have been kind of stalling, but the ending of this one was pretty good. I'm pretty sure they fell. And spoiler alert, I, no one's going to be watching this too, but spoiler alert, skip ahead like five minutes. But they uh, fell into the Hollow Earth to like end the episode, I'm pretty sure. And I'm thinking they might reveal that character that they killed off in the first episode is actually alive down there. We'll see what happens. But I'm very excited to uh, watch the next episode Thursday or Friday night. Other than that, I just have so much filler. Like The only good times is when it's back in like the 60s when they have like uh, Wyatt Russell playing a young Kurt Russell, um, when Kurt Russell's on screen, or when they have monsters. This whole thing with these kids chasing their father and like trying to give them backstories, it's so boring. I feel like no one cares and... I don't know. I could li- I could live without this show, but it's fun to watch. I think there's only two episodes left, two two or three. So wind it down to the end. Also, I'm hearing um Invincible, the second half of season two, is coming out uh towards the end of uh, the week, January fourth. So that could actually be uh, tomorrow, Thursday. I don't know if that's true. I'll have to check Amazon Prime, but I'm really hoping it does. As I kind of left us with a little cliffhanger of uh, four episodes into season two. Of course, um, Invincible Mark was um, beaten up by the Viltrumites. They took his dad, absolutely mutilated those bug people. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how they continue out the rest of the season. It's going to be very exciting. I assume they do eight episodes. So for the next four weeks, will we be getting an episode? I hope so. Um, in movie world, um, actually, I was at the movies yesterday with my girlfriend. I dragged her along, used my AMC gift card my grandparents gave me. Thank you, Grandma and Grandpa Ruger. Love you both. Um, to see the Iron Claw. Absolutely love the movies. I'm actually be ranking my top 10 movies I saw at the movie theater in 2023. I'll be uh, doing that on one of our future episodes. I just love to rank stuff that happened in the past year, honestly. Uh, but yeah, I saw the Iron Claw, which is about the Von Erich family, a wrestling family, like WWE, WWF, AEW, you know that. But uh, this was back in the 70s. They were a legendary wrestling family. And it was such like, a feel-good movie to uh, to start out. And it was basically just telling about uh, how they got started, how they got into wrestling. Of course, it was their father, Fritz Von Erich. Then the oldest was uh, Kevin. Actually, they had a younger brother who died. So Kevin Von Erich was like the second oldest, but he's technically the oldest. Then you had Carrie Von Erich. Then you had David Von Erich. And lastly, you had Mike Von Erich. They call him Mikey, though. But um, 
man, it was just, it, it starts off so well, and then tragedy keeps striking. It's it's really sad. Just it all spirals out of control. Really emotional. Zac Efron delivers an incredible performance. I mean, from his usual, uh, just looking like Baywatch, like the hot guy with abs, to um, Neighbors, where he's a comedian. And this film, he's just so serious. You feel his pain. I mean, typical A24 film. They obviously, they have random scenes. They throw in where um, Kevin and Eric loses his virginity to his wife, and it's just so passionate. And there's even a scene where, like, David is, like, jerking off in the shower. You don't actually see anything. You just see, like, you just, it insinuates, but you're kind of just like, that scene is so unnecessary. But, um, their father, Fritz, is just a, just a terrible dad. I mean, he ranks his kids to their face, and he says, if you guys can level up, the rankings can change. He trains them to death, makes it all about him. And when his, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, when Carrie, as he's older now in his 30s, he uh, kills himself, he shoots himself at their home, uh, Kevin finds him and his dad comes up and he's like, if you could have stopped, if you would have been there for him, you could have stopped this. And Kevin starts choking his dad and their dad is just like a monster to them. But, um, you know, uh, incredible ending. Uh, basically, um, after Carrie dies, it's sort of like reuniting because Mike died and they, they all died except for Kevin. Um, super emotional film. David, uh, by the way, all real. This is all real. They just, of course, add in scenes. But David was out re- actually wrestling Ric Flair on a, an NWA tour in Japan, and he uh, had a busted intestine, and he like died in his hotel room. And they found him, and then Carrie stepped in uh, to take his uh, place. Carrie, of course, um, will, uh, end up losing his foot because after he won the belt, you know, brought it home for the family. He would go driving drunk in a motorcycle accident, would lose his leg, would actually have a stint in the WWF before they cut him, which would spiral him out of control with pills, depression, uh, just anger, and he would kill himself. It was very sad. And Mike killed himself too. After suffering a shoulder surgery, uh, or shoulder injury while trying to get into the ring, he was pushed into the ring too fast by his father, of course, and um, suffered a shoulder injury while they were doing surgery, routine shoulder surgery. He uh, spiked a fever and was a 107-degree fever for two hours, came out of a coma, uh, made it out of the coma, but was just mentally not fully there, couldn't go back to the way he was, and felt that he couldn't live up to David, um, his brother who had died, who was the best wrestler probably, and um, he took a bunch of pills, drank a beer, and wandered out into the family's field on the ranch and just OD'd or just passed away out in the field, and they found him. Super sad, super depressing, and the movie ends with basically all the brothers being reunited. Um, you, you don't really want to call it heaven. They're just on their farm, but it was like they were all reunited, all the ones that died. Super fun moment there. I'm sure Kevin, who's still alive in real life, was very touched by that scene. And it ends with Kevin Von Erich with his two kids and his wife, and the, the boys are playing out football in his yard, and he starts crying. And like you just seen Zach Efron crying, and you just feel the pain. I, I wasn't really going to cry, but I was feeling kind of teared up by it. And, you know, the boys, the brothers come over and they're like, what, why are you crying, dad? And he's like, because I don't have my brothers anymore. And I once was a brother, but now I'm not because him and his brothers, a big thing they did was play football. And it was a super emotional scene. And then his son says, we'll be your brother's dad. And oh, that just that yanked at the heartstrings, man. That was so powerful. Absolutely love that movie. And taking off my movies of 2024 with a bang. This movie's definitely going to be in my top 10 by the end of the year. Um, we got a, we got a lot of movies to look forward to in 2024, but this movie was amazing, and I somewhat knew about the Von Erichs, big uh, wrestling guy from my past, uh, he used to be a huge WWE fan, and I recognized the name, and I went back in my WWE book, and I read about them, they were actually inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2009, um, just an absolutely amazing film, I encourage everyone to see it, 
It is. Even if you don't like wrestling, my girlfriend doesn't even like wrestling or know anything about it. And she said it was a good movie. Like, not even lying. Like, obviously, like, it wasn't her cup of tea. She wanted to see the movie with Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. And I was like, can we see The Iron Claw? She was like, sure. She liked it. All right. Amazing film. I encourage you all to watch it. Um, Speaking of watching, gosh, I'm so good at segmenting. I mean, I don't like to pat my own, toot my own horn, pat myself on the back, but I'm, I like to think I'm pretty good at segueing things here on the podcast. Um, we got a lot of NFL to talk about, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about Week 17. We're gonna recap seven, Week 17, take a brief little intermission. I'll, I'm gonna mention like some goals I have for 2024, just briefly. I don't know if it'll be a minute or two. Then we'll um, give our Week 18 NFL predictions. And then I'll rank every pay-per-view in 2023 to end out the podcast. That sounds like a plan. That actually sounds like a plan to me. Um, I always love that I map out those types of things. And yet my intros, my intro were like, because this is basically my intro, kind of. I Actually, it's kind of like the opening of the podcast, I would say, where I just kind of talk about a bunch of random talking points of sorts, movies, UFC news, uh, stuff like that. I'm holding off on the NBA and NHL just to let it... Uh, Keep, keep the season going. Cause, I mean, when we check in every Monday and Thursday, not much changes. I mean, the most change we see is from that Friday to Sunday, kind of. So I've been I've been giving it a break. Timberwolves, still the best team in the West. Wild, still one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. Uh, so one, one, one Minnesota team at the bottom, one Minnesota team at the top. The Vikings <sighs> in the middle. We'll, uh, we'll see how the Vikings finish out. But let's talk about Week 17. Let's talk about it. It was fun. I, I personally I personally enjoyed it. I personally enjoyed Week 17, despite the Vikings losing, despite everything that transpired. I mean, gosh, it was it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking watching us lose to the uh, to the Lions. We'll mention not the Lions, the uh, the Packers. I'll get to that in a second. But uh, we got 16 games to get through. I should try and make this quick. All right, because we're starting this at the 30 minute mark. It, this this could be this could be quite the talk. Let's get right into it. Do I have my um, standings pulled up? Yes, I do. That's another issue that I feel I'm gonna have if I try and film myself. Is that I'll have to look at the camera. Because a lot of the time I'm looking at my phone, I'm looking at the computer, I'm just looking at the mic, or I'm just like looking off in like the distance, like trying to get my thoughts put together of sorts. Um, but yeah, we'll work on that. Anyways, we kicked off week 17, the second to last season, uh, season, that's <laughs> the second to last week of the NFL 23-24 uh, to 24 season with the Jets visiting the Browns, a little Thursday night football action. And let me tell you something, the Browns did not disappoint, 37-20 to 20 win, they clinch a spot in the playoffs, they actually clinched the fifth seed, I'm pretty sure in the playoffs, absolutely incredible stuff, your top fantasy performers, Brees Hall, 27.6, Trevor Simeon, 13. 0.74, Garrett Wilson 9.9, this is the Brees Hall show here, Jerome Ford 26.1 for the Browns, Joe Flacco 22.66, and David Unjoku 17.4, that guy's an excellent tight end. Um, basically, I mean, first quarter, Browns go up 21-7, to it was a touchdown epidemic, just my goodness, um, second quarter comes around, two touchdowns again for the Browns, um, two, um, a field goal and a touchdown for the Jets. And heading into halftime, I mean, it was an outstanding 30, 35, wasn't it? Was it? it was 35 to 17. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm pretty sure, unless Riley Patterson missed an extra point. 
Uh, yes, Riley Patterson missed one extra point. He was the Browns kicker. Um, I mean, you had Ronnie Hickman turning a 30-yard pick six. Kareem Hunt touchdown. Jerome Ford touchdown. Elijah Moore touchdown. Another Jerome Ford touchdown. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, no scoring in the third, then two field goals in the fourth. The Browns capitalized with an excellent defense performance. Jets stats for this game. Trevor Simeon, 261 yards. Touchdown and a pick. Didn't do too bad. Didn't do too bad, as I would expect from a Jets guy. Brees Hall rushed for 84 yards, but did wrap in nine catches for 42 yards and a touchdown. Impressive stuff there. Garrett Wilson, five catches for 50 yards. And had one rush for eight yards. How about that? All eyes were on the Browns, so it was Joe Flacco threw for 309 yards, three touchdowns, had one pick, but don't let that stop you. This guy is, this guy is completely transformed this Browns offense. Strom Ford rushed for 64 yards, Kareem Hunt rushed for 31 and a touchdown, and Joku, six catches, 134 yards. Elijah Moore, five catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown, did get injured. And Jerome Ford, two catches, two touchdowns, 57 yards. Absolutely loved it. And they did all this with Amari Cooper out. Okay, that just shows you how impressive this Browns offense was looking in this game. Browns clinch a playoff spot, eleven and five currently, looking to end the season either eleven and six or twelve and five. I don't think it matters. They have the fifth seed no matter what. Uh, plus fifty-one point differential, an outstanding eight and one at home. This Browns team has just completely rejuvenated, rejuvenated their season. Um, they, of course, ended out with the Bengals. We'll get to that in a bit. But, um, yeah, impressive stuff. A little four-game win streak. I'm excited to see what Joe Flacco does in the playoffs for this team. As for the Jets, I mean, they were cursed from their opening game with Aaron Rodgers going out. 6-10 um, and 10 currently. I mean, it's crazy they could finish with seven wins, if I'm being honest. Um, they do have a minus 101-point differential. Um, man, it has just been a rough season to be a Jets fan, but I say look to next season. Aaron Rodgers will be back. Um, I think a lot of the guys are going to come back. Brees Hall should be coming back. Uh, Garrett Wilson. Uh, who else do they get? I don't even, I don't even know. They've got some hitters. Uh, they did release Delvin Cook though, which I find hilarious. The fall of Delvin Cook. Very sad. I was a Delvin Cook fan, but he did not do much for them. Um, Jets, I don't even know where they land in the draft. I mean, all I can speak of for the Eastern Conference is right now they are one, two, three. They're fourth worst in the AFC. So there's four teams below them, five, six, seven, uh, eight. There's like eight teams that are worse than them. So Jets are going to get a middle of the pack, probably in the teens, probably in that 11 to 19 range for a pick. Unless they trade it, I don't really know where all the picks stand for the NFL, but um, rough season for the Jets. No playoffs for you, Aaron. The city will be counting on you next season. Heading into Saturday, we actually had a little Saturday night matchup between the Cowboys and the Lions, and it was a barn burner. Came down to the final play. Cowboys won 20-19. to Absolutely impressive. These teams could be meeting in the playoffs, too. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Fantasy performances, Amon Ross, St. Brown, 22, Sam Laporta, 15, Dave Montgomery, 12.5. CeeDee Lamb, though, I mean, has slowly became the number one wide receiver after being not even, like, in the top 10 for a time. CeeDee Lamb, 40.2 fantasy points, Dak gets 20, and Brandon Cooks sneaks in with 17. And, I mean, first quarter, I mean, it starts off 7-3. CeeDee Lamb had a 92-yard catch from Dak, um, just about three minutes left in the first quarter. 
Uh, right, uh, no scoring in the second. Once the third picked up, I mean, punched it in. Uh, Dave Montgomery, a little punch in. Brandon Aubrey, fifty-one yarder, and we had a ten-ten ball game heading into the fourth. Though, start off a little mag. Michael Bagley, of course, the Lions kicker, field goal, thirteen to ten. Then uh, Brandon Cooks would catch a touchdown. Brandon Aubrey would punch in a field goal, and it would be twenty to thirteen. In favor of the Cowboys, Marlon Ross St. Brown catch a two-yard, or sorry, an eleven-yard uh, touchdown pass from Jared Goff to make it nineteen to twenty with twenty seconds left in the ball game. By the way, in Dallas, where the Cowboys have been undefeated all year, it looked like we were heading to overtime, and then Dan Campbell. I don't know what he was thinking. Decided to go for two. Everyone was saying he was crazy. They run the play. Goff throws it end zone. Catch by a lineman. Everyone was going crazy, but the offensive lineman did not report as eligible. There was some debate on if he did, and they had to redo it. So that not only it actually penalized them, since he didn't report because it would have been a, an ineligible wide receiver downfield, and instead of ki- kicking a Extra point, you know, clearly this was a sign from the heavens. Dan Campbell, the Lions are supposed to kick a field goal. From the 10 freaking yard line or the 7 yard line, I don't know. They were either penalized 5 yards or 10 yards. He decides to go for it again and the ball's incomplete except there was a penalty. I think it was pass interference or holding on the defense. So the ball was coming back to the 2 yard line and you're like, oh my gosh, uh, another shot from God saying, okay guys, uh, you guys need to kick the freaking field goal. So they failed once. They failed twice. The third time, you would think Dan Campbell would say just kick a field goal, <laughs> an extra point, not a field goal. But uh, no, he goes for it again. The pass is incomplete, and the Lions lose the game by one freaking point. Absolutely wild ending. Lions, you can just, just terrible play calling is why they didn't send this game to overtime. All right. They could have won in overtime. For goodness sakes, they didn't think they could for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it was they just didn't think they could win in overtime, but uh, not not the most impressive. Goff throws for 271 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Of course, Cowboys D was on lock. Dave Montgomery, 65 rushes for uh, 65 yards, not rushes, for uh, one touchdown. Jameer, 15 rushes uh, for 43 yards. David had 14, so they split carries. Monroe St. Brown, six catches, 90 yards at a tutty. Sam Laporta, seven catches, 84 yards. And even Jamison Williams sneaking in two catches for 69 yards. Cowboys let him in. Dak throws for 345 yards, two touchdowns. They get picked off, though. That was pretty shocking. Tony Pollard, 16 rushes, only 49 yards. They had him on lock. C.D. Lamb, though, the player of, gosh, you could even say the week, potentially, definitely of the day. 13 catches, 227 yards, and a touchdown. He was hot. Brandon Cooks, five catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. We'll give him a shout-out. I'll give you a little shout-out there, Brandon. Um, Cowboys, 11-5, and went a perfect 8-0 at home this season. How about that? Season tickets are going to skyrocket next season. Um, they have an outstanding, oh my gosh, trying to do some math here, guys, plus 166 point differential, almost eclipsed 500 total points of offense. Um, actually, if they score 29 points, they'll reach 500 points for. Uh, I don't know if they're going to, I think they're resting. Actually, no, the Cowboys are not resting their starters as uh, the division is still up for grabs. They're tied with the Eagles. They do win a tiebreaker, though, if both teams win. But if the Cowboys win, nonetheless, they are in as the NFC East uh, division winners. They're obviously in the playoffs. They're going to either be the, they're either going to be the two or five seed. That's a pretty crazy spread. Um, 
But yeah, impressive stuff from this team all year. And CeeDee Lamb is probably going to end the year as the number one fantasy wide receiver. Of course, after um, week 18 ends, we'll be doing an entire ranking of uh, all the... We're going to do a full fantasy review um, for fantasy football, by the way. I did win my 10-man, my 12-man, my 12-man random league. I took first. I, I won over Landon. Um, I took seventh with a 7-7 seven and seven record, might I add you, in the Cato Boys League. So 7 out of 12 basically means I won the loser's bracket. Or actually, that would have been if I took fifth, I think. But anyways, um, disappointing, but uh, I did better than five or six other people. So not too shabby. And in my uh, six-man All-Star League with the family, I took fifth. You know, not last. I didn't take last. And uh, I'm currently getting blown out by 58 and into week 18 uh, to win $200 in my 10-man, $20 buy-in league. So... Kind of depressing there. But, um, yeah, we won't talk about that. Lions, 11-5. They won the NFC North. They'll be the three seed in the playoffs. Um, They do only have a plus 56 point differential. I would have expected better. They've just been kind of good at home, good on the road. Um, Of course, they host the Minnesota Vikings. Looking to play spoiler. Let me tell you, us Vikings, we need a win. We need a win there. But, um, yeah, nothing much to say from the Lions. Uh, I don't, I don't know if they're even going to play their starters. I, I honestly don't think. Do they have anything to play for? I don't think they have anything to play for. I think they're locked in as the three seed. Um, yeah, because since they won the division, yeah. Actually, there's a crazy scenario. Maybe if, uh, 49ers lose? Nah, I have no idea. Lions, I'll see you in the playoffs. Actually, as a Vikings fan, I'll see you, uh, see you, uh, what is it? Sunday. Actually, every game's Sunday. It's pretty crazy. Um, getting into our Sunday games. Wow, I've been rambling. Let's talk about the biggest blowout of the week. Oh my goodness, this team is going to be scary. This team is going to be scary in the playoffs as your number one team in the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens, win 56-19 over the Dolphins. Absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. I, I, I was speechless. I was speechless. Baltimore Ravens, 13-3, clinched the number one seed in the AFC and I think win or lose are going to be the best team in the NFL. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah, they are going to probably be the best team in the NFL. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. Congrats to Lamar, man, balling out. Um, Just a blowout win. Just a blowout win. I had the Miami defense, negative seven points. Embarrassing. Devin Achane gets 23.7, Tua 14.8, Tyreek 13.6. Not too many fantasy guys going off. Lamar, 36.3. Justice Hill, 22.2. Zay Flowers, 19.6. Even Isaiah Likely, 18.2. Outstanding. Um, I mean, by the way, first quarter, I mean, I'm pretty sure the game started out 7-3, uh, to three, or it was either it was either like 13-7. to seven. I think it was 13-7. to seven. It was like... It was like seven to six actually, and then to round out the second quarter in under three minutes, Zay Flowers caught a seventy-five yard pass, and Isaiah Likely caught a thirty-five yard pass. So head into half, all right, it's twenty-one to six. You know, obviously kind of bad. Uh, Isaiah Likely then catches the touchdown pass in the third, so it's twenty-eight to six. All right, it's already ugly, and then in the fourth quarter, the Ravens proceed to score three more touchdowns. Um, including a pick six, I'm pretty sure. It was absolutely insane. Their defense went off. The offense went off. I mean, this Ravens team was on lock, and they boast a plus 100. Oh, my gosh. I spoke too soon, guys. They boast a plus 210-point differential. 210. Six and two at home, seven and one on the road on a six-game win streak. You cannot deny this team at all. Um, 
Dolphins, score sheet, Tua, 237 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, was on lockdown. Um, Devin Achane, 14 rushes for 107 yards, did his best. Tyreek, six catches, 76 yards, and Achane had four catches for 30 yards, and a touchdown just got locked up. Lamar, 321 yards, five passing touchdowns, didn't turn any ball over. Gus Edwards, 68 yards and a touchdown, and Melvin Gordon, Six rushes for a touchdown, too. How about that? Justice Hill has five catches for 64 yards and a tutty. Zay Flowers, three catches, 106 yards at tutty. And Isaiah Likely had two catches for two touchdowns. It don't get much better than that. Dolphins, 11-5, and five are uh, the best offense still in the league, despite getting blown out. Still boast the best uh, points for 482. You're 18 points away from 500. I know you guys can do it. They have a plus 112-point differential. Um, the good news for the Dolphins is they will play the Bills at home for the AFC East title, but um, the good news about that is that they're 7-1 and one at home. Very impressive. Um, Dolphins, nonetheless, will be going to the playoffs. I believe the Dolphins will either be the 2 or 6 seed. Actually, no, they'll be the... They'll be the two or two or four seed. I don't even know what it is, but they'll uh, or no, the two or five seed. But uh, Dolphins will be in the playoffs no matter what. But they're either going to be playing a lower team or they're going to be playing a higher team. They could even rematch the Bills in some scenario. It'll be interesting to see what occurs. Um, in a game that actually really mattered for the Bills, Bills were able to beat the Patriots 27-21. to Bailey Zappi gets 12 fantasy points, Ezekiel Elliott 11.5, Patriots defense 11. Josh Allen goes for 21 fantasy points, Buffalo D19, and Dalton Kincaid gets in a little 12.7 action. Um, scoring, I mean, everything was going on in the first quarter. This game starts out 13-7. to I mean, the game started out with a Jalen Rager 98-yard kickoff return. That's insane. To kick off the game, by the way. Second quarter, each team scores a tutty, uh, including a Razul Douglas 40-yard pick six. Third quarter, Josh Allen punches in a touchdown. Fourth quarter, Ezekiel Elliott punches in a touchdown. And then the Bills D just came up big to round out the game. Bailey Zappi, 209 yards, three picks. Was not on. Was not on. The defense was on. Ezekiel Elliott punched in a touchdown. Bailey Zappi did run in a touchdown, but uh, what's that say much? And Mike Kosicki was the leading wide receiver. With four catches and 35 yards. Or I guess leading tight end. That's his position. Josh Allen, quiet day. 50% completion percentage. 50 uh, for 169 yards and a interception. Did rush 11 times for 44 yards and two touchdowns. James Cook, out of 16 rushes, only 48 yards. Yikes. Dalton Kincaid, four catches for 87 yards. The only wide receiver I can point out. Stefan Diggs, four catches, 26 yards. Has now been locked up in like three straight weeks. Absolutely insane. Bills are 10-6 and six and are not even in the playoffs. Currently second in the AFC East. They will win the division if they beat the Dolphins. But there is a scenario. I, I can't recall what it is. Obviously, a lot needs to happen. A lot needs to happen for the Bills to miss the playoffs. But it is still possible. Let me, um, let me actually find the official NFL website statement on what can happen to the Bills. I'll, or should I save that? I'll mention it right now just to do it, but um, I might mention it a bit later when we go over, but the Bills can, pretty sure, clinch a playoff berth if they tie, if Pittsburgh loses, if Jacksonville loses, or if Houston and Indiana tie. But if Pittsburgh wins, Buffalo loses, Jacksonville wins, and Houston and Indiana does not end a tie, they miss the playoff. So it's a pretty wild scenario. The Bills could come in as the freaking... I think the three seed or even the two seed 
or they can miss the playoffs. That is absolutely insane to me. Um, Bills are on a little four-game win streak, 10-6 and six record, have saved their season in the final five weeks. Um, and honestly, they post a plus 133 point differential. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. But, um, yeah, yeah. Bills, big week ahead of you. As for the Patriots, 4-12, and 12, minus 116 point differential, 1-7. At home, they suck. Bill Belichick will be gone. And I heard they're targeting Brian Flores, defensive coordinator for the Vikings. Stay away. He's ours. He's he's mine. All right, Brian, Brian Flores, stay in Minnesota. You don't want to go to New England. All right, it's nasty up there. We're much nicer here in Minnesota. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to say about the Patriots. There's going to be a lot of changes. Let me tell you that. The fall for the Patriots kind of has been fun to watch. Check it out, a, a local friend, I'll say. You know, they haven't really been too big of a rival this season. Um, The Bill, the, the, the Bills, oh my gosh, I'm slipping up. The Bears, Bears beat the Falcons 37-17. to I can't believe it, the Bears actually holding on and getting a win. Sadly, we'll miss the playoffs due to just um, scenarios that be tiebreakers. Just they're mathematically eliminated, sadly, which is kind of funny since they have the same record as the Vikings and the Vikings could still make the playoffs. But um, actually, I'm pretty sure the Falcons can make the playoffs, too. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, dominating 20 point win by the Bears. Well, two game win streak for them. Good for them. Taylor Jir, 15.8 fantasy points. Taylor Heineke, 15. Bijan, 11. DJ Moore drops a 30 bomb for the Bears, though. Justin Fields, 25. And Kai freaking Herbert, 20.9. Game started off. I mean, DJ Moore getting it going with a touchdown pass from Justin Fields. Justin Fields runs in a touchdown. Tyler Jill did have a 75-yard little screen pass from Taylor Heineke, which was impressive. But it was 21-7 to at halftime for the uh, Bears. Uh, after two field goals uh, for the Bears in the third and one from Young Huku of the Falcons, we were looking at a uh, pretty um, pretty close game. Tyler Heineke would then make it, uh, what would he make it? Tyler Heineke would make it 17-27, to but then Carol Santos would hit a field goal and Khalil Herbert would punch it in to give the Bears a 20-point win. Heineke throws for 163 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. Desmond Ritter, 17 yards passing for one pick. Four picks for the Bears defense. They were on lock all game. Bijan, 15 rushes, 75 yards. He was held in check. Tyler Heineke did punch in a running touchdown. And Algier, the leading wide receiver, with one catch for 75 yards. How about that? Drake London well, held only 56 yards on four catches. Bears D on lock. Justin Fields, 268 yards and a touchdown. No turnovers. Very happy for him. Khalil Herbert. 124 yards rushing for a touchdown. Very impressive. Rashawn Johnson, the backup, punched a touchdown. And, of course, Justin Fields ran a touchdown. You can throw that in your bed every week. But DJ Moore, the most fun thing about this team, nine catches, 159 yards, and a touchdown. Bears, sad to see you'll miss the playoffs. Um, I do like the Bears and Lions more, way more than the Packers. So um, Bears, really rooting for you guys to beat the Packers. We'll drop the pick later on the pod. Vikings... Uh, still above them, still above them, but uh, yeah, Bears um, have fixed their point differential in the last few weeks. It's only minus 11 now. That's a weird thought. Five and three at home, not too shabby. Little two-game win streak. Justin Fields, my opinion has kind of changed on you this season. I won't lie. There have been some ups, there have been some downs. I think you should stick around next season. I think the Bears should keep them. As for the Falcons, seven and nine, third in the NFC South. I mean, I don't know how it's possible. With a minus 21 point differential with two and six on the road, this team can still make the playoffs. They can sneak in as the four seed, I'm pretty sure, by winning the division if they beat the Saints and the Bucks lose. I just, 
the NFC South has been wild. Wow. Jumping over to the AFC South. Oh, I just love when it segues so perfectly. Um, we had the Colts beating uh, the Raiders. Raiders not in the AFC South. AFC South. I guess that didn't work out as well as I thought it would. But uh, yeah, Colts win 23-20 to in a very close matchup. Devontae Adams back to his ways with 37 fantasy points. Anil Connell had 20 and Zaheer White 15.6 with Josh Jacobs playing, I'm pretty sure. Jonathan Taylor gets 17 for the Colts. Gardner 13 and Alec Pierce 12 point. Eight on our Sunday of football. I mean, game started out fourteen to three for the Colts. Um, then it was actually seventeen to a ten after the third. But Matt Gay's two field goals in the fourth would seal the deal. And though Devontae Adams caught a one-yard touchdown pass with um, forty seconds left, Colts came up big, getting the three-point win and keeping their playoff hopes alive. Aiden O'Connell, 299 yards and two touchdowns, was looking great. Zaheer White, 20 rushes for 71 yards. Okay, Josh Jacobs was not playing. Devontae Adams, 13 catches, 126 yards and two touchdowns. An absolute stud for the Raiders. Gardner throws for 224 yards and a tutty. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, 21 rushes, 96 yards and a touchdown. Pretty impressive. Pittman gets five catches for 46 yards. And Alec Pierce had a 58-yard touchdown, touchdown catch from Gardner. Colts can still win the division in the AFC South. Then the Texans and Jaguars are all tied at 9-7. and seven. If the Colts beat the Texans, they um could actually make the playoffs. They could actually make the playoffs. Um, they're actually currently in at the seventh seed. Um, be it, though, that if the Colts lose to the Texans, they might not even make the playoffs. Um, but uh, if Jaguars lose, Texans lose, Colts, you're freaking in. As for the Raiders, you know, this was to keep their playoff hopes alive. Both them and the Broncos eliminated from the playoff race. Um, but yeah, Raiders, you know, minus 12-point differential, 7-9. You know, season adds up, season adds downs. Uh, best of luck to you in your season finale. No idea what they're going to do at quarterback next season. Checking in with the Battle of Our Cats as the Jaguars blew out the Panthers 26-0. Exactly what the Jaguars need to keep their playoff hopes alive. Chubba Hubbard, 11 fantasy points. That's all I'm going to point out. The only double-digit fantasy performer on the Panthers. Travis Etienne, 25.8, back to his wades. Jacksonville D with 16, and the Jaguars kicker, Brandon McManus, 14 fantasy points. Can't complain. Field goal from Brandon McManus in the first. Field goal from Brandon McManus in the second. Field goal from Brandon McManus in the second. A field goal from Brandon McManus in the third. And a field goal from Brandon McManus in the fourth was all the points. Actually, Travis Etienne did have that 62-yard run in the third, but other than that... Yeah, this was all the Jaguars. One-way traffic. Bryce Young, 112 yards and a pick. Hoofda. I don't know what to do with this guy. Chubbard had 45 yards rushing. He also had four catches for 26 yards. Yeah, wow. Jaguars with C.J. Berth Bethard behind the helm. Throws for 178 yards. ETN took over the duties. 102 yards and two touchdowns. They did give Tank Bisbee 10 rushes and only 32 yards. Gave me Laird Fournette vibes. Evan Ingram, six catches for 60 yards. Calvin Ridley, four catches, 39 yards. Hopefully T-Law will be back in the season finale. Jaguars currently um, leading the division, currently in at the four seed in the playoffs. Um, Needs a lot to happen to... Uh, Make it into the playoffs if they don't win, but uh, if they win, they're winning the division and getting the fourth seed. Um, they have a plus one, plus fourteen point differential. Not too shabby. Um, now I don't know if they're at home. I honestly cannot remember. I think on the road, where they actually have a five and two record on the road this season, so not too bad. Trevor Lawrence, they need you back. 
And shout out to the Panthers, the worst team in professional sports, honestly, you could say that. Actually, they're not worse than, actually, them and the Pistons, equally as bad. 0-9 on the road for the season. Yikes, that's a tough way to round it out. Didn't win on the road all season. 2-14. and um, I'll say this Buccaneers game is winnable for the Panthers. This could be the one game the Bucks lose where they could win the division. Uh, pretty funny. But, um, yeah, 236 points for, 407 points against. Just a terrible season for the Panthers. There's not much to say. I don't know what they're going to do with Bryce Young next year, if I'm being honest. If I'm, be- if I'm being honest. Checking back in with the AFC South. We, we, we actually had a real AFC South matchup, not just the Colts and, and the Raiders, but uh, Texans bowed the Titans, and this was not like their first matchup where it was 16-16 and went to overtime. Texans blow them out 26-3. to very impressive, keeping their playoff hopes alive. DeAndre Hopkins gets 14 for the Titans. That's it. That That's all you. Everyone, everyone else sucked. Houston defense gets 21. Kai Fairbairn, 16. And Nico Collins, a little 15.7 action. Um, I mean, basically just Texans all day. They Nick Folk hit a 53-yarder at halftime, right before halftime, to give the Titans their only score of the game. But, um, yeah, pretty pretty boring game. Sheldon Rankings had a 13-yard fumble recovery, which is why the Texans had so many points. A uh, defense had so many points. And Brevin Jordan caught a 12-yard pass from C.J. Stroud. How about that? Rob uh, Levis hurt himself early in the first quarter. Ryan Tannehill would come in, go 16 out of 20 on completions for 168 yards. So just didn't do much. Derrick Henry had 42 yards rushing. Absolutely nothing. DeAndre Hopkins, seven catches, 72 yards. Yeah. Titans and Panthers getting locked up this week. C.J. Stroud back from his concussion, 213 yards and touchdown. Very civil game. Devin Singletary rushed for 80 yards. Nico Collins, seven catches, 80 yards. Titans, 5-11, and 11, boasting a minus, um, I don't exactly know what it is. It might be, I think it's a minus 70 or 60 point differential. I think it's 70 point differential. Um, 1-7 on the road. Um, absolutely terrible this season. A little three-game losing streak. Um, yeah, no idea what to say if you're a Titans fan. It was a rough one. As for the Texans, playoff hope's still alive. Division hope's still alive. You have a plus 20-point differential. Good at home. Um, you guys will be, um, hosting. I believe they host the, uh, do the Texans host the Colts? I can't remember who hosts that game. Actually, the Colts host the Texans. So we'll see how the Texans do. Three and four all season on the road, but, uh, six and three at home. Not too bad to be a uh, Texans fan. Division to the live. Best of luck to ya. Checking back in with our NFC teams. Rams beat the Giants 26-25. to And this is a pretty funny ending to this game. I won't lie. I won't lie. Uh, Kyron Williams drops a 30 bomb. Puka Nakua 18. Demarcus Robinson 13. Kyron Williams, man. Rookie of the year nominee. Gotta throw him in the conversation. Darius Slayton 20. Uh, Wydale Robinson 19. And Tyrod Taylor coming in this game 18.76. Losing by a point. Um, back and forth the whole game. Um, I mean, you had 80-yard touchdown to Darius Slayton from Tyrod Taylor. You had uh, Cooper Cup catch a touchdown, two touchdowns from Kyron Williams. It was going pretty good. Then, with under four minutes left, Gunnar Olawitzki returns a 94-yard punt to make it 25-26, to and the Giants go for two and fail just to do it. And man, if you're a Rams fan, you were so blessed because this clinched a playoff spot for them. Dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. Why did they have to do that? If the Rams were lost, it really would help the Vikings' chances of making the playoffs. But um, 
yeah, Rams, no, not nothing too impressive, especially on special teams, allowing that, but uh, offense was just spectacular. Matthew Stafford throws for 317 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Kyron Williams, 87 rushing yards for three touchdowns. Absolutely insane. Cooper Cup got a touchdown, but Demarcus Robinson, six catches for 92 yards, was the leading uh, receiver for targets. Now, as for uh, actual catch, for actual yardage, Puka Nakua, five catches for 118 yards. Tyrod Taylor coming in this week for uh, Tommy DeVito, 319 yards, a touchdown, and pick. Not too bad from a backup QB. Um, he actually had the most rushing yards with 40. Saquon only 39. Um, Darius Slayton, four catches, 106 yards and a touchdown, was the top guy for them. Um, yeah, Rams will be looking to the playoffs. I believe they're locked in at the sixth spot for the playoffs. I mean, second in the NFC West, nine and seven. They had a uh, plus, like, 26-point differential, three-game win streak. Um, I know the resting Matt Stafford, Carson Wentz will be taking over duties in the season finale against the 49ers. So we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But who knows? This Rams team, when they're hot, they are hot. Giants, 5-11. and They've almost given up 400 points all season. Three-game losing streak. The Giants suck. We'll see you next season, Tommy DeVito. Actually, who knows? Who knows if they'll keep Tommy DeVito. Biggest upset of the week. I just didn't even feel real. The fall-off has been insane. I don't even know what to say about the fall off, but the Cardinals beat the Eagles at home 35 to 31. I could not believe it when I read it. I could not believe it when I saw it. Utterly insane. Wow. James Conner, 26 fantasy points. Kyler Murray, 23. Uh, M. Wilson, 15.5. Jalen Hurts, 19. Julio, Julio Jones at 17 fantasy points. Dallas Guard, 15. Cardinals, wow. Um, back and forth game all the way. The huge two touchdown th- third quarter though from the Cardinals is what really made this a game. Um, Ten points in the um, fourth quarter from the Eagles was giving them a little lead. Michael Wilson would catch a touchdown, and then on the final drive of the game, down 38 to 21, James Conner would punch in a touchdown with 32 seconds left to give the Eagles an L, give the Cardinals a W. Um, utterly insane. Utterly insane. Um, Kyler Murray, 232 yards uh, passing for three touchdowns and one pick. But uh, James Conner, 128 yards and a touchdown, 26 rushes. He was a stud. Uh, Greg Dortch, leading wide receiver with seven catches for 82 yards. Uh, Yeah, Trey McBride, six catches, 48 yards. Pretty irrelevant. Eagles, wow. Jalen Hurts, 167 yards, three touchdowns passing. Uh, Running game could not get going. Uh, DeAndre Swift, only 61. Jalen Hurts, only 25. Receivers got locked up. Dallas Goddard caught the only touchdown. Actually, that's not true. Wow. Dallas Goddard caught a touchdown. Julio Jones had two catches for two touchdowns. Wow. How about that? A.J. Brown held in check, and Devontae Smith held in check. Gosh dang it. That really screwed me in fantasy. Actually, that was the league I won. What am I saying? Um. Wow. Yes. Eagles, who started out 10-1, are now 1-4 their last five weeks. It's been absurd. Um. Wow. They lose at home. They lose on the road. The NFC is still up for grabs. They need the Cowboys to lose, though, uh, or else they're going to be the fifth seed. So the Eagles will either be the number two seed or the number, um, what is it, five seed. That's pretty wild to me. Um, Eagles have put up 423 points. They've given up 401 points. I don't know what to make of this team. I do not like their odds in the playoffs. As for the Cardinals, I mean, 4-12, and your season's over, and you're out here beating the Eagles. I absolutely love it. Uh, minus 124-point differential. 
Oh, my goodness. They've been so bad this year, they decide to beat the Eagles. You gotta love it. Cardinals, we'll see you next season. They might get Marvin Harrison Jr. unless the Bears take him. I'll be interested to see what the Cardinals do. Checking in with our NFC South companions as the Saints played the Buccaneers in a crucial matchup. Saints win 23-13 to keep not only their divisional hopes, but their playoff hopes alive. Um, Juan Johnson, 23 fantasy points for the tight end. Derek Carr, 15. Saints, the 13. Chris Godwin gets 17. Trey Palmer, 16. And Baker Mayfield gets 16 fantasy points as well. This is a pretty typical game. Um, I mean... Let me just tell you, it was 20 rip heading into the fourth quarter. Um, two touchdown passes from Baker um, made it a uh, 23 of 13. Blake Grupp would hit a uh, field goal, which is actually why it's 23 of 13. Um, yeah, Saints just came up big in this one. Derek Carr, 197 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Jamal Williams rushed for 58 yards. Alvin for 45. Wow, Jamal Williams got more carries. Interesting. Uh, Juan Johnson, eight catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Best wide receiver of the day as the tight end. And uh, Taste Mill. Two catches. Caught a touchdown. How about that? Baker Mayfield, 309 yards. Two touchdowns. Two picks was held in check. Rashad White, um, only 42 yards rushing. Yikes. Trey Palmer, four catches, 84 yards and a touchdown. Chris Godwin, three catches, 81 yards and a touchdown. Mike Evans, three catches. 470 yards as the Buccaneers and Saints and Falcons are all battling to see who will make the playoffs. Buccaneers have the best odds. They play the Panthers. All right, they play the Panthers, I'm pretty sure, in uh, Carolina. So we'll see how they do, but should be a win for the Bucks. I won't lie. That should that should probably be a win for the Bucks. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, who knows? The Panthers may come to play. As for the Saints, you know, they'll host the Falcons at home, I believe. It's so interesting to see what happens. I need, as a Vikings fan, I will need the Buccaneers and the Saints, one of those two teams, to lose. One of those teams. Not both of them, just one of them to lose, so. We're going to be a Falcons and Panthers fan this week. Who knows? We'll see what we pick when we do our week. Uh, what is it? Week 18. Wow. Week 18 predictions coming up later on the episode. Uh, burning through these games. Let's keep them rolling. 49ers beat the Commanders 27-10. to There should be no shocker here. There should be There should be no shocker here. I mean, Commanders suck. 49ers are good. It's just how it goes. 27-10. to Brandon Ayuk, 24 fantasy points. Debo, 18. Brock Purdy gets 17. Uh, Terry McLaurin had 16 fantasy points. Bijan had 11. Sam Howell with a satanic 6.66 kind of describes how his season and the Commanders have gone. Very bad. Praise Jesus. Um, uh, You know what? All I'll say is that, you know, it was 10 to 10 at one point. It was actually 13 to 10 at halftime. But the Commanders then forgot how to play and gave up a touchdown in the third and fourth. So not the most impressive game for the 49ers, but Exactly the game you'd expect from the Commanders. Brock Purdy, 230 yards and two touchdowns. Um, McCaffrey did get hurt, so Elijah Mitchell came in to take over running duties. Actually ran in a tutty. Um, Ayuk, seven catches, 114 yards, caught a touchdown. And Debo got a touchdown on one of his five catches. Sam Howell back in instead of Jacoby Brissett. 169 yards, touchdown, two picks. Nothing much. Bijan, nine rushes, 44 yards. Terry McLaurin, four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, Commanders suck. Worst defense in the league, giving up 480 points. They might be the first team, of the only team, actually not the first, the only team this season to give up 500 points if they get 20 scored on them by the Cowboys, which most likely will happen. Um, yeah, so what is that? They have a minus 161-point differential. 4-12 record, have only won one game at home, 
seven-game losing streak. Wow, Commanders fall off from actually. You know what? There was a point they were four and five. All right, and we're just kind of middle of the pack, and they slowly separate as the worst. Absolutely outstanding. Um, as for 49ers, they clinched the number one seed in the NFC, 12 and four record. Um, pretty pretty amazing season. 471 points for, only 277 points against. They've had some hiccups, but yeah, they're good in the they're good in the NFC. Let me tell you that. Uh, keeping us moving with our 3:30 matchups. Um, Steelers beat the Seahawks 30 to 23. Pretty stunning loss by the Seahawks. I mean, I don't know what to make of that team. They might I don't even think they're gonna make the playoffs. I, I think they might be eliminated from the playoffs. I don't know if that's true, but I think it is. Um Najee gets 24 for the Steelers. Wow, George Pickens 20. Jay Warren, 19. How about that? Gino gets 16, Kenneth gets 16, and DK Metcalf gets 15. Not much to say. Back and forth. Back and forth all game, but a battle of field goals in the fourth quarter is what really determined this one. Seahawks just could not come up with anything. Uh, Steelers defense coming up big. Mason Rudolph, 274 yards, no turnovers. How about that? Najee Harris looking like he did the last few seasons. 122 yards, two touchdowns. Jay Warren, 75 yards, one touchdown. Rushing game was on point. George Pickens, seven catches, 131 yards. Can't Can't ask for much more. Gino, Gino dotted up uh, no one. 290 yards and a touchdown. But yeah, didn't do enough to get a win. Kenneth Walker punched in a touchdown. Metcalf had 106 yards uh, receiving. Fant had 59. Smith and Jigba caught his only catch was for a touchdown. Good for him. That's all I'm going to say. Um, Steelers still looking to keep their playoff hopes alive. Seahawks third in the NFC West. Um, Almost minus, minus 39 point differential. Um, coming off of this loss, I, I think the season's over. I think the season's over for the Seahawks. They can still sneak it at the seventh seed. Um, need a lot to happen. We'll mention that later. I, I don't know what to do with the Seahawks team. Same with the Steelers. I mean, both these teams, they'll beat a good team. They'll lose to a bad team. Makes no sense. They're currently in at the seventh spot, but um, that could easily be booted from them if a couple of scenarios happen. Um, have a minus 27-point differential. Um, I don't know how the Steelers team is 9-7, and seven, but kudos to you. Kudos to you. Good defense. Let me tell you that. They haven't given up 300 points. Actually, they have given up 300 points. Wow. I stand corrected. Classic matchup that we always love to see in the AFC as the Chiefs beat the Bengals 25-17, to crushing the Bengals' hopes of making the playoffs and securing the Chiefs as your AFC West champions. Um, Jake Browning drops a 21 fancy bomb. Joe Mixon, 18. Jamar, 7. So it was the Mixon and Browning show. Isaiah Pacheco leading me to a fantasy championship with 29 fancy points. Harrison Butker, 24. Ridiculous. And uh, Rasheed Rice got 17. Good for him. Good for him. Only good part about my team last week in my 20 bad, uh, $20 buy-in. Harrison Butker hits an insane. Mind you, mind you, this is absolutely insane. He hits six field goals all in a row. Absolutely ridiculous. Isaiah Pacheco got a touchdown. Bengals didn't even score in the second half. Butker hit four field goals in the second half. That was all that happened. Pretty comical if you ask me. Jake Browning, 197 yards and a touchdown. Joe Mixon, 65 yards. Actually, Jake Browning ran in a touchdown too. Mixon ran in a touchdown. But it was all too late as they need a win to stay alive in the playoffs and couldn't get one. Mahomes, 245 yards and a touchdown. It was all about uh, Rasheed Rice, though. Five catches, 127 yards. But check out, 130 yards rushing, 35 yards receiving for a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, only three catches for 16 yards. Chiefs going to get the third spot in the playoffs, win their division. Good stuff.
good stuff from them. Uh, 358 points put up, 282 allowed. You know what? They're a decent team. The wide receiver core is kind of rough, though. Isaiah Pacheco being a stud, though. That was one of the breakouts of the year, though. I, I will say that. That was one of the happier breakouts of the year. Bengals, 8-8 eight and eight record, minus 35-point differential, two-game losing streak, going to miss the playoffs with a potential 9-8 and eight record. That is very rough. That is very rough. Um, Joe Burrow, next season with this team, I feel could really lead them. But Jake Browning, uh, I think what stings more is that the Vikings let Jake Browning go, and he has been cooking. But, um, yeah, tough, uh, tough loss for the Bengals. We'll see you next year, though. You're one of those teams. We'll see you next year. You're going to get a draft pick in the 20s. Let me just tell you that. AFC West matchup. Oh, yes. AFC West matchup as the Broncos beat the Chargers 16-9. We'll be quick about this one. Nothing nothing mattered in this one. Nothing mattered. Um, A. Erickson of the Chargers had 16.8 points. Who even is that? Who even is that? Um, A. Erickson is a wide receiver who had seven catches for 98 yards. Easton Stick threw for 220, but uh, Chargers just had three field goals. Broncos had one touchdown in the second quarter. Other than that, they punched in uh, three more three more field goals. Yep, literally nothing happened. Literally nothing. Little Jordan Humphrey had 14 fantasy points. You like that? Like that with uh, Russell Wilson benched? You know what? Freaking Jeff Stidham came in, threw for 224 yards and a touchdown. I mean... Nothing mattered here. Nothing mattered. Broncos, 8-8, eight and eight, going to miss the playoffs. Uh, minus 43-point differential. Just uh, just a lame season. Russell Wilson probably leaving next year, probably getting traded. Chargers, 5-11, four-game losing streak. Whew, minus 51-point uh, differential. Yeah, Chargers really need Justin Herbert and really need a new defense. Uh, yeah, not, literally nothing to say. This game doesn't matter. Whatever happens next week, doesn't matter for these teams. They're out. Um, the final game of week of week 17. Yeah, you can hear my tone. You can hear my tone because I don't really want to talk about it. Um, we'll be brief. We've lingered on this for way too long. But, um, yeah, Vikings lose to the Packers 33-10. to um, Jordan Love, 28 fantasy points. Jaden Reed, 26. B. Melton, 22.5. Johnny Munt, 13. Justin Jefferson, 10. That's all I can mention. Jaron Hall with a negative .92. Really cost me in fantasy. I put some open. Jaron Hall completely failed me. Vikings didn't even get a touchdown until the fourth quarter when nothing mattered. Um, started bad and just got worse. Jordan Love, 256 yards and three touchdowns. Was really looking good out there. Aaron Jones, 120 yards rushing. Um, B. Melton, six catches, 105 yards and a touchdown. Jane Reed, six catches, 89 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. Jaron Hall in the first half, 5 out of 10, 67 yards, fumble and a pick. Ugh. Oh, gosh. I know. I'm getting emotional. I can't, I can't even. Guys, guys, I need a tissue. I need a tissue. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Nick Mullins came in in the second half, threw for 113 yards and a touchdown. He'll be starting for us in week 18. Ty Chandler held only 40 yards. JJ, five catches, 59 yards. J, JJ needed. He needed Nick Mullins in there for him. Thank you, Giant Month, though, for catching our only touchdown. I do appreciate that. I truly, truly do. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh it was tough. I hate the Packers and they beat the Vikings, which just puts me in sour mood. So Packers are eight and eight, currently your seventh seed in the NFC playoff picture. Um turn their season around a little two game win streak now. Um yeah. 
F the Packers. That's all I'm going to say. I hate the Packers. Vikings are 7-9, and three-game losing streak. We suck at home. We've been 5-3 and three on the road. So actually, being on the road will benefit us. We have a minus eight-point differential. You know, we've had a decent... De- we've been decent the whole, whole year. We need Kirk Cousins back. We would have won the Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. Um, only way Vikings can make the playoffs is through a ridiculous scenario where the Seahawks lose, where the... Packers lose, where the Vikings win, and where the Buccaneers or Saints lose. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, tough, tough season for the Vikings. Packers, I wish you nothing but bad luck. Not on any of the health of the players. I wish all the players good health, but team overall, I curse you. I curse you to never win another Super Bowl. Yeah, how about that? I'm giving them them the old Ruger curse of not winning a Super Bowl. It's probably going to come back as me on karma. Going to get some little karma, and the Vikings will never win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. Doesn't matter. You know, football doesn't matter, right? Football doesn't matter. It's the memories you made along the way. F that, I want the Vikings to win the Super Bowl. We can win it this season. Who knows? We could have it. They could make a documentary about us. But, um, yeah. Anyways, despite all that rambling, that'll wrap up Week 17. It was pretty hectic, especially with all the clinching scenarios. But, wow. Wow, that was a lot of talking. That was like 45 minutes of NFL talk right there. Just about week 17. We still have to talk about week 18. Um, We'll take a little intermission here from uh, NFL. We'll talk about some goals I have for 2024 in just about a second. My throat needs some water. Alrighty, we are back, and yeah, 2024, you know, it's always important to set some goals, you know, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about some goals I have. First off, first goal for the podcast is to get a, get it. I would, I wouldn't even want to say a bigger following, but just, just kind of promote it better, you know, and I think filming myself, which is one of my goals, to start filming myself, maybe creating some reels to post on Instagram, is one first step towards doing that. Um, that I can post videos on YouTube as well. Um, another goal we have, of course, which I've mentioned, which will be involved in season two, is putting um, like a they they have a specific word for it, which I'll probably find out. But like tickers at the bottom, where it shows you like what you're talking about for a set period of time. That's gonna be something that I'm gonna be working on. Um, also, potentially learning how to use some equipment to edit better. That I think is gonna be one of my goals. Uh, some personal life goals. I would say get abs. You know, I'd say get abs, but I'd say more instead of getting abs, I kind of want to bulk up a bit more. I'm at 170 right now. I have gained like 20 pounds since I started college as a freshman. So 20 pounds in like three years isn't that impressive at all. So um, I'm looking to maybe put on 20 this year, maybe get up to a little 190, 185 action, uh, get more shredded, get uh, just stay consistent in the gym, but I'm always good at that. I'm going to look to end 2024 with, I'd say, $30,000 in my bank account. That's pretty doable. That's pretty doable. I'm at, like, I think I'm at, like, 8 Gs right now. 8 Gs, probably going to be less as the semester keeps it going, and I keep spending money, living on my own, buying stuff, groceries, bills, and stuff. But um, this summer, looking to do that, maybe stay on my grind, figure out a side hustle to do. You know, this podcast is a fun side hustle, but it doesn't hustle me anything. I don't earn any money from this. This is something I do as a hobby that potentially could get picked up on as something that makes money. But no one's going to sponsor this at the moment. It's just, it's something fun to do. So maybe work on a side hustle. Um, Read more. I'm looking to try and average a book a month. Try and average a book a month. Obviously, I read the Bible every day. I read some devotionals. But um, I'm going to be mapping all this out on a calendar and stuff. I'm uh, looking to go out of state three times this year. I'm going to look to try and travel a bit more. I don't know how. 
I don't know how, but that should be a little goal I have. Travel out of Minnesota a bit this year. Just go somewhere, whether that be just to Illinois, to Wisconsin, to Iowa, to South Dakota, North Dakota, you know, just somewhere, somewhere. I don't know. Florida and California are kind of ambitious. The Carolinas, um, Arizona, Texas, places like that are kind of ambitious for someone with me, like me, without a lot of uh, money to support myself. But um, well, it's always good to have some goals. Um, looking to just, you know, stay faithful to, uh, commitment. Just always be, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Just not as lazy, not as lazy. You know, I feel like if I'm going to be lazy, if I'm going to sit around and play Xbox, watch a TV show, I should, I should make sure I've earned that by doing something that I'm uncomfortable with. Um, just, uh, get out of my shell a bit more. Just know that, uh, talking to more people is always okay. I'm usually good at that, but, uh, at times I'm in a class without people I know at college, uh, where it's not as much of a talking environment, you know, I can kind of be quiet. So I'm going to look to do a bit better at that and uh, bring more guests on the podcast. It's something that I'm self-conscious about as I've only really brought on friends and people that I know because I, I don't really have like, I only have one mic. I don't really know how to use two mics. Mics cost money. Um, so a lot of stuff to look forward to in 2024. But um, yeah, it's always important to have some goals and uh speaking of looking forward into 2024 that's right the final week of the nfl season week 18 uh let's drop our predictions live here on the podcast we uh we got a lot to talk about we got a lot to talk about um so kicking us off kicking us off saturday at 3 30 was that january 7th january 6th uh, one of those days i think it's the 6th actually we'll have the steelers visiting the ravens and What's very notable about this is that the Steelers need to win this to make the playoffs. Baltimore Ravens have already clinched the FC North and the number one seed in the playoffs. So they will actually be starting Tyler Huntley. I expect to see more Melvin Gordon than uh, Justice Hill and Gus Edwards out on the field. I expect to see more Nelson Aguilar than Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, uh, Rashad Bateman. So, expect a lot of Ravens players to be benched. And as for the Steelers, they are currently in the playoffs at the seventh seed, I believe. But, wow, they need a lot to clinch the playoffs. So, first off, to clinch the playoffs, Pittsburgh will need a win. Nonetheless, they will need a win, okay? And a Buffalo loss, all right? But let's say Buffalo beats the Dolphins, all right? Then they will need Jacksonville to lose, okay? Let's say Buffalo and Jacksonville both win. Then they will, the Pittsburgh will need to win, and they will need Houston and Indiana to tie. Now, let's say Pittsburgh ties. Then they'll need Jacksonville to lose and Houston and Indiana to not end in a tie. And let's say Pittsburgh loses, then they will need Jacksonville to lose, Denver to win, and Houston and Indiana to not end in a tie. But thankfully... To uh, any Steelers fans, such as my best friend Seth, I uh, I will just say that I like the Steelers' odds here. I really like the Steelers' odds here. I mean, they are. I'm not gonna say that they are. They're better in this sense, but they will be playing their starters. They will be trying. The Ravens don't seem to care as much. And by the way, this is a rematch. Of course, every game this week will be a rematch. Uh, these teams last played in, gosh, October 8th. Steelers won by seven at home. So the only scary part, if you're a Steelers fan, I will say, is that the Ravens are an outstanding, uh, just an outstanding 6-2 and two at home. So they've been very good at home. Um, and the Steelers on the road, 4-3, and three, so pretty average. But, um, and actually... Everyone seems to be splitting, but um, with the game on the line, shot clock, who you taking? I got to go with the Steelers, man. 
I got to go with the Steelers. I just think the Steelers are going to pull this off. And you just have to think the Steelers starters are playing. They're playing with passion. Ravens are resting everyone. The Ravens have nothing to win or gain here. I mean, the only thing they have to gain is potentially just a record to say, hey, we went 14-3, and which I don't think they care too much about. So we'll go with the Steelers. I don't know if Kenny Pickett will be back. I'm hearing rumors he might be. I don't think it makes a difference. Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph, and Mitchell Trubisky are all kind of the same person to me. They all are kind of the same person. Um, Mason Rudolph hasn't done too bad, though. Well, uh, we'll see, because it depends on how many Ravens defensive players they rest. I think that's a big thing, because, and also Tyler Huntley knows how to cook. Um, knows how to cook defenses. So, we'll go with the Steelers. But I mean, if you're a Ravens fan, if you're a Ravens fan, I would not uh not be too downcast on the result. Absolute heater on Saturday night. Texans visit the Colts. The AFC South divisional title is still on the line, as well as a potential playoff spot to the loser and winner. But uh, yet again, a lot of scenarios. There's a lot of scenarios in this final week, which it's always fun to talk about. So both teams are 9-7. and seven. Colts are currently in the playoffs at the 7 spot. Texans are currently outside of the playoffs at the number 8. Texans 9-7. and seven. Colts 9-7. and seven. I mean, last time these two teams played, I mean, it was an absolute heater. Absolute heater. Oh, wait, no, I was thinking of um the Colts and Titans game. What um what happened last time the Colts played the Texans? What, what game was it? Oh, it was Texans and Titans. That was a banner, banger. Last time the Colts played the Texans, when was this? Oh, my gosh, was this was September 17th. This was like week two of the NFL season, I'm pretty sure. Colts won 31-20. to Ooh, very interesting. And that was in Houston. Very notable, if you ask me. Um, everyone appears to be healthy for this game. CJ Stroud will be in. Uh, of course, no tank down. Very sad for the Texans. But here's your playoff scenarios. By the way, by the way, I am... I, I played a lot of these games on Madden. I've been watching these teams as of late. The Colts' defense is good. The Texans' defense is good. Texans' offense is good. Tech, uh, Colts' offense is good. But I will say, I lean more towards the Colts' defense than the Texans. And I lean more toward the Texans' offense than the Colts. So this is where it's going to get a bit interesting about who I pick. So when it comes to the playoffs, Houston, can cl- Houston or Indianapolis can clinch a playoff spot if Jacksonville loses. So if either of them win, whoever wins this matchup, a tie would be really awkward, but uh, whoever wins this matchup and uh, will be in a good place to win the division because Jaguars will play at noon, I believe, on a Sunday. So we'll see what happens. But um, Houston could only clinch, both teams could only clinch a playoff spot if they win, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure if they win. Um, so uh, Texans can clinch a playoff berth um, if they win. So this is... Clinching playoff berth has to do more if the Jaguars win. So Jaguars win, and whoever wins between Colts and Texans. Yeah, you all get the point. So if uh, Houston can clinch a playoff berth with a straight-up win. All right, with a straight-up win, Houston can clinch a playoff berth. Or if they tie with um, Colts, which is honestly seeming like a probability, they would then need Jacksonville and Pittsburgh to lose, okay? Now for Indianapolis to uh, clinch a playoff spot, exact same scenario, they would need to win, but if they tie, they would then need Pittsburgh to lose. So, it's pretty much when you get in, lose, you don't get in. So, that's where it gets pretty freaking interesting. I'm going to go with the Texans, though. 
I am going to go with the Houston Texans in this matchup, and uh, I don't know why. I don't know why. You know, both teams are coming off a win. Both teams have been pretty average, you know. Um, but I just like what I've been seeing from the Texans lately. I've liked what I've been seeing from the Texans. Colts are so hit or miss, as are the Texans. We're going to ride with this Texans team and C.J. Stroud. Let's do this. All right. Moving along. Let's keep this rolling. Let's not linger too much. Jaguars will play the Titans as our first game at noon. It just seems so fitting. They placed it there. Jaguars, of course, just need to win to win the division. That's all Jacksonville needs to do to win the division. Or even if they tie and Houston and Nia tie, they would make it. Okay. Jaguars own any tiebreaker. Okay. Now, they did go on like a little four-game losing streak. They were able to snap it against the Panthers, but still pretty excruciating. Trevor Lawrence is questionable, but he should be coming back to play in such a pivotal game. Titans, of course, um, the worst team in the AFC South, one of the worst in the whole division. Last time these two played was November 10th with a 20-point win for the Jaguars, but this time we're in Tennessee. Now, uh, Titans are 4-4 four and four at home, better than their road, by the way, so the Titans do play better at home. Um, so let's hypothetically say that the Jaguars win, they win the division, they get the fourth spot in the playoffs nonetheless. Now, let's say Titans win. Let's say Titans pull off the upset over the Jaguars, all right? They will then need Pittsburgh and Denver to lose and for Houston and Indiana to not end in a tie, all right? Now, let's say Jacksonville ties. They would then need Pittsburgh to lose. So I don't really consider ties as a viable option. Now, I will say we haven't had a tie all year, so this could be one of the rare seasons in the NFL where we don't have a tie. And it just feels kind of fitting that there would be a tie to round out the season. So pretty, pretty funny there. But um, yeah, Jaguars are in with a win. Titans can play spoiler. Um, but I still don't see that happening. I still don't see it happening. I got right with the Jaguars in this one. Um, I'm aware team split. But um, this Titans team is just not so good. And they just got blown up by the Texans with a perfectly healthy team. Um, so yeah, we'll go with the Jaguars, which would then give, I'm trying to like keep up with what my playoffs would look like. So if the Ravens lose, they would still be the number one seed. Jaguars would be the fourth seed. And I had the Texans winning, which I believe would throw them in. Gosh, it's hard to keep up with everything I'm predicting. Uh, so if the Texans, if I had the Texans winning, that would place, they would need Pittsburgh to lose. Oh, so Houston would be in the playoffs nonetheless. So as of right now, the Texans are in the playoffs, I believe, at the number six spot. Oh, no, we won't linger on that too much. But yes, Jaguars are our pick. Vikings at Lions. Let me tell you something. I've picked them for 17 straight weeks, except their bye week because they didn't play. You think I'm about to not pick them in the final week? You'd be incorrect. I'm a loyal Vikings fan. I'm a loyal Vikings fan. Um, Vikings have split with everyone else in the division. The Lions have split with the other divisional opponents. The Bears have, the Packers have. Everyone has split. I'm thinking the splitting continues. Give me Vikings over Lions, ladies and gentlemen. Give me the Vikings over the Lions. I don't want to hear it. I want to see it, baby. I want to breathe it. I want to breathe it. This is going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible when the Vikings pull this off. All right? The Vikings need a lot of scenarios to make the playoffs, but it starts with a win. I think we can get it. We almost did it last time, and we got Nick Mullins back in. I hope he learns from what he did last time against Detroit. He knows how their defense works, and he can overcome it. Let's do this, Vikings. Um, I'm not really a Lions hater, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick the pick against them just because I don't like them. But I'm a Vikings fan. I'm loyal, and I think we can win. I truly believe we can win. Okay, 
There's a slim chance we make the playoffs. It would start here. I'm riding with us. Okay, I'm riding with us. And what benefits what benefits us in this is that we have been way better on the road. Okay, we've been way better on the road than oh gosh, we've been atrocious at home. But um Vikings are five and three away. Five and three away. Okay, we're gonna snap our little three game skid. By the way, you know, Lions are five and two at home. I mean, I've seen more impressive records. Okay, I've seen them I've seen them lose at home twice this year, okay. Give me Vikings money line plus five thousand. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, Minnesota can clinch a playoff berth with two scenarios. Okay, they clinch first off. They need to win in both scenarios. They need to win in both scenarios. We need the Packers to lose in both scenarios. We need the Seahawks to lose, and then in either one of our scenarios, we need the Buccaneers to lose to the Panthers or the Saints to lose to the Falcons. So I kind of like our odds there. I will say the only place that I really see us having issues is us being the Lions. You know, I honestly see that. You know, I'm pretty confident the Bears can beat the Packers, especially in Green Bay. I think they're going to pull off a little upset. Um, Cardinals against Seattle, you know, it's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. Um, But, you know, Tampa Bay and Saints, Falcons and Panthers, that whole division has split all year. Okay, it's been very up in the air. So, um, yeah. Easily going with the Vikings. And I might play Nick Mullins over Trevor Lawrence. We'll see how I'm feeling. We'll see how spicy I'm feeling. Um, speaking of the devil, Falcons play the Saints in our next matchup. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, coming down to the wire to round out the season. And, I mean, still playoff opportunity still available. Teams last played a month ago, November 26. Falcons won by nine. So uh, this is looking like it could be a Saints win, unfortunately. Yeah. Saints are 8-8. Eight eight. Atlanta is 7-9. New Orleans can actually clinch the NFC South Divisional title with a win and a Tampa Bay loss or tie. All right? Tampa Bay, uh, I'm sorry, not Tampa Bay. New Orleans, the Saints, can clinch a playoff berth if they win, Seattle loses, and Green Bay loses. Or if they tie and Seattle and Green Bay lose. So, yeah, it's it's pretty insane that the, the Saints need to win and they need Tampa Bay to lose to make the playoffs. Um, as for the Falcons, I I saw they were in the hunt. Um, they, they can't not be in the hunt and they aren't listing how they could make the playoffs. A um, little perplexed. Oh, yes. The Falcons can clinch the NFC. Oh, the Falcons? Wow, this is insane. The Falcons can only clinch the division. So the Falcons are fourth seed or bust. That's ridiculous. Atlanta clinches the NFC South divisional title with a win and a Tampa Bay loss. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. Wow. Wow. What a scenario. It is divisional winner, fourth seed in the playoffs, or bust. Whoo, that just adds a little bit of excitement to this game. I have to throw this on red zone or something. Um, Falcons, of course, are 5-3 and three at home. Saints are 4-5 and five on the road. I did play this matchup in Madden, and the Saints won. I, I literally tried everything to get the Falcons to win, and the Saints were just better. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But both these teams will be on full go, fully locked in. Um, But gosh, let me tell you something. I mean, this helps me. If the Falcons win, um, you know, some tell me to pick the Saints, but another part of me says, Zachary, you gotta pick the Falcons. Give me the mother trucking Falcons. But it would be more crazy is if every game I played on Madden, because I've been playing every week 18 game on Madden, actually comes true, and the picks I'm making here don't correlate to the Madden picks that I played out. Now that would be insane. That would be pretty insane. I might even go back and rewrite all my picks, okay? But 
We'll see what happens. It's kind of fun playing all those Madden games, but every time I finish one, I go, that was pointless. That just wasted time is what it is. We're going Falcons to help the Vikings make the playoffs. They'll throw the Falcons in the playoffs. I mean, this is going to be a ridiculous week. Let me tell you that. Absolutely pointless matchup. Up next as the Jets visit the Patriots. I mean, there's no need for this matchup at all. I mean, they're just two worst teams in the AFC East, two worst teams in the AFC. I mean, I don't even know. Who won last time they played? Last time these two teams played the Jets won, I'm assuming. Assuming the Jets won last time these two teams played. That was back in September, and the Patriots won. 15-10, to 10, of course they did. Of course they won. Of course they won. We're proving Zach wrong just to do it, are we? All right. Um, Let me check the away and home records. How the Patriots been at home? 1-7. Jets have been 2-5 and five on the road. Both these teams suck. Who sucks harder? It's hard to say. It honestly is really hard to say. Both teams have yet to get to uh, 300 points. They won't. 233 points for the Patriots on the year, 251 for the Jets. Both teams have surrendered close to 350. Uh, so, yeah, pretty similar, pretty similar, judging off of who has the worst offense. I'm going to say Patriots. So, um, hell, I rarely picked either of these teams all year. We'll end it with a little Jets pick, and I need to spice up my home and away. So I have Steelers getting the road. Ooh, oh, no, boys. Oh, no. I have just realized... That through the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games. Because the next thing I'm going to talk about, I've predicted the away team to win. And looking back at what picks I was going to make, it's looking like I'm only going to have like ugh, three home teams winning. Shoot, I'll need to assess something actually. Okay, for, for sake of home teams winning, I'm going to pick the Patriots actually. I'm changing my pick live here on the podcast. Um, Patriots over the Jets, just because I need some home teams. Oh, that's kind of, do I really see the Steelers losing it? Oh, man. Um, you know what? We'll ride with our picks. I've seen crazier things happen. Next up, Buccaneers and Panthers. And what's hilarious about this matchup between the Buccaneers and Panthers is I just need the Panthers to win. It would, it would help the Vikings tremendously. You know, I'm not very confident in the Falcons pick I made. You know, the Saints winning seems realistic. And, you know, it's it's just the Panthers, you just can't pick them. You just can't pick them. I mean, 0-9 on the road. They are at home, but they've been 2-5 at home. Wins over the Falcons and the um bum, blum, blum, the Bears. I mean, I've just not left much to be desired. These teams last played December 3rd. Buccaneers won by three. But, you know what? We're all about risking things here on the podcast. I love to risk things. The Panthers didn't even score last week. The betters are begging us to pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, the Buccaneers are what? Buccaneers are what? They're on a little four-game win streak, aren't they? Well, four, oh, they're coming off of a... They lost. They lost? Who'd the Buccaneers play? Wait, what? I already... I covered this game. What? Buccaneers lost to the Saints. Ooh, I'm just remembering that. See, they're, they're coming off of a loss. They're rambled. We're picking the Panthers, boys. We're picking the freaking Panthers. Any path we can get the Vikings in, we're picking against them. So, plus I need to pick a home team. Give me the Panthers. No one's going to see the Patriots and Panthers winning. No one's going to see the Falcons, Vikings, and Steelers winning. How about that? Give it to me. Give it to me, baby. Um, Buccaneers, actually, we should talk about the Buccaneers' quick scenario um, for the playoffs, actually. Seems uh, seems appropriate. With an 8-8 record, uh, Tampa Bay can clinch the NFC South uh, divisional title with a win. That's all I need to do. And they can clinch a playoff berth um, if they at least tie. Seattle loses and Green Bay loses. So if 
the Buccaneers lose, no playoffs. If they win, playoffs and divisional title, which is why I'm picking the Panthers. Heartbreaking Tampa Bay. Moving on over to the AFC. Ooh, AFC North. That's right. I know my divisions. We have the Browns visiting the Bengals. Browns have already clinched up the fifth spot in the AFC playoffs. Bengals with an 8-8 record have nothing really to play for. You know what? It's it was a sad ending to their season. Eight and eight could finish either eight and nine or nine and eight, and you'll miss the playoffs. Very very sad. These teams last played a while ago, I believe. They played in their season opener where Browns blew them out twenty four to three, and that was with Joe Shiesty. That was with Joe Shiesty too. So mm, that's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting if you ask me. Browns a little four game win streak. Bengals two game losing streak. Um, Bengals are five and three at home. Browns are three and four on the road. Actually, Browns went eight and one at home. That is incredibly impressive, if you ask me. Um, scenarios n- neither neither Browns. I'm pretty sure. Let me double check. The Browns have clinched the fifth spot, if I'm not mistaken. Yet they have clinched a playoff berth, which puts them at the fifth. Because nonetheless, they'll be the best fifth seed. So now we have to weigh um, what who plays better. Because I mean, the Bengals will probably just play their starters. Just to do it, I'm assuming. I'm assuming they're gonna. There's no way for them to make the playoffs, but the they're playing the Browns backups. So yeah, I mean, who? I think Jeff Driscoll's gonna be the QB for them. I know Pierre Strong should be their running back. Um, give me the Bengals here. Give me the Bengals. I just, I don't really see the. I don't really see any backups thriving this week. Okay, I just don't see any backups thriving this week. Um, so yeah, give me the give me the Bengals over the Browns. How about that? How about that? Next up, Bears versus Packers. My parents will actually be at this game. I don't even have to say anything. I'm sure you guys already know we're picking the Bears to win this. All right, Bears, give me 38 to 28. Actually, no, give me 34 to 34 to 20. Bears winning. Okay, this is this is our ticket. This is the Vikings ticket. We need the Packers to lose. In any scenario, we need the Packers to lose. Packers, a little two-game win streak, currently a seven spot in the playoffs. As for the Bears, seven and nine will miss the playoffs, but they can do us a solid and beat down those damn Packers, the worst team in the NFL. Now, this is pretty wild. Green Bay, a lot of scenarios, a lot of scenarios. Green Bay can clinch a playoff berth. The Green Bay can clinch a playoff berth if they win. If the Packers win, they're in at the number seven spot. They're in at the number seven spot. Nonetheless, they will be the number seven seed if they win. But if they tie, if they tie, there's three scenarios where if they tie, all right, we don't really look at the tying, but if they tie, then they'll need Seattle to lose or tie, all right, and they'll need New Orleans to lose or tie, and they also will need Tampa Bay to lose or tie, okay? So none of that. But if they don't win against the Bears, then they'll need Minnesota, Seattle, and either Tampa Bay or New Orleans to lose. Okay? Now, mind you, mind you as well, the NFC North has split games all season long. All right? The Packers split with the Vikings. All right? Which is actually fun to look back. Yes, we beat them at home 24-10. to 10, Very fun. They've also split with the Lions. 34-20 to 20 loss at home and a shocking Thanksgiving victory where they won in Detroit. Where is it at? 29-22. to 22. So, all the odds are pointing to a Chicago Bears win. No NFC North team has beaten a divisional opponent at home. That's pretty incredible. That's a pretty fun statistic right there. I love that statistic. All right? So, give me Bears money line. 
Give me a Bears beatdown. I might as well put Justin Fields as my starting QB because he's going to bring home a Vikings playoff opportunity. Give me the Bears. The Bears. Give me the Bears. And 8-9 season for the Bears this year. Very much love it. If the Packers win and make the playoffs, I will cry because I am friends with a Packers fan and will have to watch the playoffs with him. That sucks. I actually know two Packers fans. So actually, I know three Packers fans. This is, I'm just thinking more Packers fans I know. Utterly ridiculous. All right. Next up, Cowboys versus Commanders. Um, Cowboys. All right, Cowboys. And, you know, before I even get into anything, I just love making these automatic picks. Because let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something about this. Cowboys, okay? Obviously, if they win, they take the divisional title, okay? And if the Eagles lose, they take the divisional title. So, Cowboys will either be your two or five seed, okay? Cowboys, 471 points for, 305 points given up. I mean, they've been pretty good all year, uh, almost close to amazing. Commanders, uh, the worst defense in the league, 480 points surrendered, seven-game losing streak, one and six at home, utterly disgusting. Um, but uh, yeah, Cowboys are just about guaranteed to make the uh, to win the division. They've already clinched the playoff spot, so but they will be playing for the division, so they will be playing with something. Um, I don't know what the Commanders offer. Literally nothing. I mean, it's atrocious season, and plus, I think they want to tank. You know, they don't want the, they don't want to win this game and sneak down to the fourth or fifth pick in the draft. You know, they kind of want to stay in that uh one to five range. I, I don't even know what they're at, but they could be getting the number three pick potentially. I'm pretty sure. So, give me Cowboys. They'll be playing with them ferocity. So uh, yeah, that'll give the Cowboys the number two seed in the playoffs. Next up, Broncos versus Raiders, and this only impacts. I think one scenario, and by the way, I think I'm dro- I am dropped Cortland Sutton from the one league I'm still in, and I'm picking up just random guys because there's just nothing to play for. Jeff Stidham is just not a good backup QB. Easton Stick is not a good backup QB. Both these teams have been middle of the pack. When when it mattered for them to make the playoffs, they lost those games, and they won games where it didn't matter. But um, when we go to the AFC, let me find the AFC. The only way this impacts anything is if... um. The Pittsburgh Steelers lose, then they will need not only Jacksonville lose, but they will need Denver to win. So the Steelers will be rooting for the Broncos, no matter what, okay? The Jaguars will be rooting for the Broncos to lose, just in case they lose, okay? So that's the only really thing that matters is to the Steelers and to the, um, to the, uh, I, j- I just said them. I, j- I just said, to the Steelers and the Jaguars, um, the Steelers want Broncos to win. Jaguars want the uh, Broncos to lose. So that's only the real implications of this. I don't see anyone really hammering their starters too much. Uh, when they played earlier in the season, who won that matchup? Let's revisit. That was back. That was a couple weeks ago. Why can't I find it? I love when my eyes fail me. Uh, 17 to 16, Raiders won uh, September 10th. So, yeah. So, yeah, Broncos, um, they won last week. Raiders lost. Yeah, well, uh, how the Broncos been at uh, at home? They've been pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, the Broncos are on the road, so it doesn't matter. Three and four on the road. Raiders have been five and three at home. Um, yeah. Why don't we go with the, uh, I don't know. I don't know who to pick. Raiders, I know, split with the Chiefs. I'm pretty sure. Um, I know Raiders split with the Chargers, didn't they? If the Raiders split with the Chargers, that'll impact. If the Raiders didn't split with the Chargers, then I'm going to pick the Raiders in this one. 
But if they did split, I'm going to pick the Broncos. Raiders. Raiders, Raiders. Or to be a Raiders fan. Nope, they split with the Chargers. So, yeah, they everyone's splitting this year. Give me the Broncos. Give me the Broncos just because. Oh, but they are. <sighs> okay. Here's the issue. Is what I always like to do is I always like to pick an even number of home and away teams, such as Week 17. Week 17, we had one, two, three, four, 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 uh, five, six, seven, eight. We had nine. We had nine home teams win. All right, in week 16, we're just going to do this on a little two-week thing. We had one, two, three, four, uh, five, six, seven, eight. Eight home teams win. So we always like to keep in that seven to nine range. Okay, so as of right now, as of right now, week 18, I have one... I have one home team winning. I have two home teams winning, three home teams winning. Uh, I think I'm only looking at four, five. Say, so, all right, we're not picking the Broncos. We gotta pick the Raiders for uh, home versus away sake. Sorry to just keep everyone on standby with my stalling. But yeah, we're gonna pick the Raiders just to fix my ratio. It doesn't help that my first five picks are all away teams. So. That probably won't come true, but uh, we we picked the Vikings because we're loyal. I don't know how loyal I can be, though. Okay. Eagles visit the Giants uh, in an NFC East showdown. Giants 5-11, three-game losing streak. Atrocious season from New York. Uh, just New York New York sports in general. Pretty pretty rough. Um, the only thing that matters is uh, Philadelphia. That's the only thing that matters. Obviously, Philadelphia is going to playoffs. Eagles are going to playoffs. Um, it's been an atrocious ending of the season. I, I, won't lie, I won't lie about that. Um, but uh, for Philadelphia to clinch their divisional title, they will need to win and have Dallas lose. Um, so yeah, that's the only scenario. But I got Cowboys winning. I just I, There's just no way. I just watched the Eagles beat the Giants. There's just no way they lose, right? They'll be playing their starters. There's just no way. Right, guys? There's no way. There's no way. We're picking the Eagles. I don't know how confident I feel about that. Another divisional bout, Seahawks versus Cardinals. Look, I'll keep it short and sweet. Are the Seahawks a better team? Yes. What happens when a team like the Cardinals beats the number one team? They usually lose the next week. But I got to pick the Cardinals. For the Vikings to make the playoffs, I need the Cardinals to win. And that's the scenario that we've ended up in. Cardinals 4-12, and coming off of a win. Kyler Murray has done much better than Josh Dobbs. And I don't even know who else played for the Cardinals when Kyler Murray was gone. Seahawks 8-8. Eight and eight. That's right. 5-3 and three at home. Three and five away. I mean, they are just so average. It hurts the brain. Really hurts the brain. Seahawks to uh, clinch a playoff berth. Well, obviously need to win, and they only need Green Bay to lose. All right, so they might. But then also, if Seattle ties, then they'll need Green Bay to lose and either Tampa Bay or New Orleans to lose. So, Seahawks, I don't think you're making the playoffs in my little playoffs I put together. But um, yeah, for the Vikings making playoffs, I will need the Cardinals to win. Thank you, America. Rams versus 49ers coming up next. The more I think about it, I kind of want to pick the Saints over the Falcons. If I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, I, uh, I'm still debating about switching to that. Let me, let me, let me, let me simmer on it. All right. Rams visit the 49ers, but this is interesting. Interesting stuff about this Rams and 49ers matchup is they're both in the playoffs. Rams have already announced Karen Williams and Cooper Cup are going to be resting. Okay. 
Matthew Stafford's going to be resting. Carson Wentz will be coming in. So you're going to be seeing some backup action in this one. Same thing for the 49ers. The exact same thing for the 49ers. They've clinched not only the division, the number one seed. They have nothing to play for in this, okay? So you have backups versus the 49ers versus backups from the Rams. Now, who's at home? 49ers are at home. And oddly enough, 49ers have been better on the road. Rams have been better at home. So this is kind of iffy for me. This is kind of iffy for me. But I'm going to pick the 49ers to help my home average um, just because, I mean, it's backups versus backups. So it's basically like practice to these guys. And I'm going to pick 49ers backups over Rams backups. This is how I view it. So give me 49ers over Rams um, to solidify a 13-win season for the 49ers. Checking in um, our second-to-last game of the season, rounding out our 330 schedule, the Chiefs will be visiting the Chargers. Chiefs visit the Chargers in the AFC West. Uh, very fun. Very fun little matchup here. Chiefs obviously have clinched a playoff spot. Chargers 5-11, four-game losing streak. Very sad season with Justin Herbert getting injured. I mean, it's, it's just been atrocious. It's just been atrocious. Um, nothing to really do here. Um, not I, the I already know Blaine Gabbard will be in for the Chiefs. So backup city for the uh, backup uh, backup game. For any uh, Kansas City Chiefs fans, as they will be uh, probably the third seed in the playoffs. I think they're locked into, yeah, the third seed in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, I, I can't recall what happened the first time they played. It wasn't too long ago, was it? Or was long ago? Was it long ago? I love how I can't remember. You know, some games I can remember. The Chiefs blew out the Chargers at home 31-17. to uh, so Gosh, that's very interesting. That's actually very interesting because everyone's been splitting. Um, Chiefs have been five and four at home. Raiders have been three and five on the road. Gosh, backups are playing, and the Chargers will probably be playing some of their backups. Probably not all of them, you know. This is just one of those where I don't know who to pick. I honestly don't. But let let's analyze my home versus away picks. All right, as of right now, I have one, two, three. Four, five, six, and I'm gonna have seven because I'm picking. Spoiler: alert, I'm picking the Dolphins over the Bills. So I could go eight for eight if I pick the Chargers over the Chiefs. So here's 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 what I'm gonna tell you guys. So I will update obviously if I change a pick, but I'm either gonna go Chargers over Chiefs or Saints over Falcons, and I'm honestly leaning. Just because I don't think five straight away teams are going to win, I'm going to change my pick to have the Saints beat the Falcons, Saints over Falcons, and then I'm going to have the Chargers beat the Chiefs in the season finale. Okay, so that's that's what's happening. We're going to change that Saints pick because that way it's a win-win. Because if the Falcons win, that's a W. Okay, but if I Saints pick correct, we're not doing that for Panthers and Buccaneers. I, I actually got a feeling Panthers are going to win that now. Chargers and Chiefs, it's a toss-up. It's backups versus, I don't even know if you want to call what the freaking Chargers' entire offense is. They all feel like backups. So, um, yeah, we'll go Chargers over Chiefs. Round out the season. All right. Um, hey, who knows what the Chiefs can cook up. Bills versus Dolphins in the season finale of uh, the NFL. Now, not really the season finale, but uh, sort of like uh, right before the big final few episodes of the postseason. What do we get? We get uh, four four final episodes? Like, if you want to call every uh, week an episode. I don't know what I'm saying. 
Balam. Yes, the uh, AFC East up for grabs. Uh, let me find it. Let me find it. First off, Dolphins are going to the playoffs. Dolphins have a playoff berth, but Dolphins do not have a divisional title or a specific spot in the playoffs. Dolphins are 11-5, and a beautiful 7-1 at home, are coming off of a brutal loss to the Ravens, but they'll be playing their starters. I don't know if Raheem Mostert's going to play. Really hoping he does, as I need him to have another 50-point game, fantasy-wise. But um, Miami can clinch the divisional title with a win or a tie. With a win or a tie, they're in. The only thing Miami doesn't want is a loss, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter, okay, because this team is going to be equally as good win or lose. Uh, unless injuries occur, but I believe no injuries will occur. Um, but I do think my, the Dolphins will win. So I'm, I am picking the Dolphins just because that'll then put me at a solid 8-8 eight eight for home teams and away teams winning, which I absolutely love. Absolutely love. We've cooked all these picks up live on the podcast. Absolutely love it. Now, as for Bills fans, Bills have probably the wildest, wildest thing. I mean, Falcons, Falcons is wild. Divisional title or no playoffs. But the Bills is even wilder. So... Buffalo can clinch the AFC East divisional title if they beat the Dolphins, all right? If they beat them. They beat them earlier in the year, so going 2-0 would then put them both at 11-6 and and give them that, which would then put the Bills at, I'm assuming, the number two seed. Bills would be the number two seed. Now, if they don't win, let's say the Bills don't win. If they tie, they make the playoffs. All right. If the Steelers win, I mean, sorry, pardon me. If the Steelers lose, Bills make the playoffs, win or lose. If the Jaguars lose, Bills make the playoffs. If Houston or Indiana tie, they make the playoffs. Now, according to my predictions, Buffalo will lose, Pittsburgh will win, Jacksonville will win, and Houston and Indiana will not end in a tie, meaning the Buffalo Bills will miss the playoffs with a 10-7 and record, which I think would be absolutely insane. Three and four on the road, seven and one at home for the Dolphins. I'm feeling like this is setting up a Dolphins win here, okay? A little 12-win season for the Dolphins. Anything can happen, of course, but that is what we have gone with. And, uh, oh my gosh, sadly, we are almost at two hours, which means no YouTube audio for this episode. Because I still got to rank every pay-per-view in 2023. So, um, we still got to do that. But those are our Week 18 predictions. Steelers over Ravens. Texans over Colts. uh, Both of those to make the playoffs. Jaguars over Titans to make the playoffs. Vikings over Lions to make the playoffs. Uh, Patriots over Jets for no reason. Saints over Falcons to win the division. I'm pretty sure I'm giving the Saints the NFC South. Um, Bengals over Browns for no reason. Panthers over Bucks already. You you already know I got that picking. <laughs> Panthers, I just, I, I got to pick them. Bears over Packers to spoil the Packers' hopes. Cowboys over Commanders to win the division and uh, get that, what is that, number two seed? Raiders over Broncos to help my uh, home and away. Eagles over Giants just because I think they should win. Cardinals over Seahawks to get the Vikings in the playoffs. 49ers over Rams in a battle of the backups. Chargers over Chiefs self with the ratio. And Dolphins over Bills to win the division. Get that number two seed. Very fun. Very festive. I absolutely love it. Well, so with that, with that, we of course just talked about the NFL for close to an hour and a half. That was a lot of NFL talk. We're going to end out this episode because we're the surprise jab. We're not the surprise pass podcast jab. We got thrown a little UFC every episode. So to round this out, I will be ranking every pay-per-view in 2023, our final UFC ranking of the year. Okay, not our final ranking overall. I always love ranking stuff. So with that, let's rank every uh, UFC pay-per-view in 2023. We did have 14. So yeah, this will be fun. 
Now, I, I will say that ranking 14 pay-per-views was way, way easier than ranking 29 fight night events. Um, as much easier to break all these down. Um, there was only a couple where it was kind of like, ooh, should I put this over this? Should I put this over that? I have my reasoning for every single one of these. So let's get into my ranking of the 14 uh, UFC pay-per-views of 2023. Our final ranking, our final subject of this uh, episode for the day. So let's get into it with, as I always mention, I think just as notable as number one is what is the last of any list, especially when you rank them from best to worst. And that is how these are ranked. So at number 14, the worst, if you, if you want to call it the worst pay-per-view, and actually I would say the worst pay-per-view of 2023 indeed, was UFC 298, Amanda Nunes versus Irene Aldzana in the main event for the Women's Bantamweight Championship. And obviously for all of these, we take the main card into um, take the main card into exception pretty pretty hard, especially the main event, um, as well as the pay per view and any other moments from this card. And as far as I'm concerned, nothing really notable happened here except for maybe one or two things. So. Starting from the bottom, I mean, we get a boring woman's strawweight bout to open the prelims. Nothing too, uh, nothing too big there. A big moment in the second fight as Steve Ursig stepped in on short notice at flyweight to take on uh, currently uh, at the time ranked number ten David Dork. Um, he would actually win that fight by unanimous decision. Steve Ursig would and get a performance bonus for it. But I mean, competitive fight, but it was more given to him just because of how good he did against the number ten guy. Kyle Nelson would beat Blake Builder, uh, Bowder, whatever, in a uh, just a typical decision fight. 59 significant strikes to 45. Not much happened. Uh, we finally, finally got a good moment as Ayman Zahabi KO'd uh, Al Gorkwin. No idea how to say his name in just over a minute. A Stone Cold Punch didn't even get 50K for it. Utterly ridiculous, but a good moment there. Jasmine Jesu Davis, local Canadian, as this fight did take place in Toronto. Hey, was it Toronto? I, I think it was at Toronto, was it? It was in, oh, no, it was in uh, Vancouver. That's what it was. That made more sense. We're going to Toronto in uh, January. Yes, actually, two weeks. Wow. Um, yes, Jasmine Jesu Davis would beat Miranda Maverick. Just not the most entertaining fight. Close out the prelims. Nazardine Imovov would take on Chris Curtis, a top 15 middleweight bout there. The fight would be stopped in round number two after a clash of heads led to a no contest. And this was unfortunate as um, Nazardine Imovov was doing very well. Clash of heads would enable Chris Curtis incapable of continuing, which would um, stop the bout. As we got into the main card, you know, it, it did kind of start out with some promise. I mean, Marc-Andre Bariut, local Canadian, would take on Eric Anders and have a fight of the night, a very competitive bout, get the main card going, very intriguing. After that, Na Dan Ige would take on Nate Landwehr, and um, as competitive as it was, it was just Dan Ige pretty much dominating the whole fight, um, especially on the feet. I mean, he dropped Nate Landwehr in round number two, and I was like, that's going to be it. But no, Nate fought on, uh, did manage to win a round on two of the judges' scorecards, but... Other than that, Danny Gay shut out. Then we got things going in our third fight of the main card is Mike Mallett would submit Adam Fujit in a dominant uh, round two guillotine choke in round number two, a dominant performance for him. He even dropped him at one point. I mean, Mike Mallett fighting Neil Magny uh, in, uh, at UFC 297, actually. Yeah, he's fighting at the upcoming Toronto pay-per-view. This was a good moment for him. And the best moment on this card, um, what really saved this whole card for me memorable, was Charles Oliveira beating Benil Dariush in round number one in the co-main event. 
that was just an amazing moment. Uh, Charles uh, got uh, wound up on the ground early, was able to get back to his feet, drop Benil with a head kick, landed some TKO ground and pound, and that was that. And then we got to the main event in Canada. A Brazilian woman took on another Brazilian. Uh, actually, no, he, she took on a Mexican woman, Ariane Aldana. And mind you, mind you, not to be sexist, but women's main events are typically not as entertaining. Mind you, this is a pay-per-view. Amanda Nunes would proceed to outgrapple Ariane Aldana for five straight rounds and dominate her. Nothing exciting. Everything was boring. And uh, that's why it wounds up at number 14. This went down in June. This was just a, just a real bummer. I mean, just, oh my gosh. Any energy, any momentum that they had from the main card was absolutely sucked out of the building. And when people look back at UFC 289, all they remember is Charles Oliveira. So that's, what, that's why it winds up at number 14. Getting into number 13, the uh, pay-per-view that actually happened right before this in May, UFC 288, Algermaine Sterling versus Henry Cejudo for the Men's Bantamweight Championship in the main event. Uh, this went down in Newark, New Jersey, and I mean, prelims were actually pretty promising. I mean, we start off the night with three straight TKOs, kicking us off Claudio Ribeiro beating Joseph Holmes with a round two TKO, getting his first UFC win. Ikram Alkaserov would then have his first UFC fight, uh, debuting against Phil Haas, landing a nasty, nasty right hand, and KO Phil Haas, an amazing moment. Um, Parker Porter would then freaking beat Braxton Smith. That would be Parker Porter's last win, and Braxton Smith is only a um, fight in the UFC. Uh, but yeah, heavyweights always doing something interesting. Then Verna Jandaroba would outgrapple Marina Rodriguez, for three straight rounds for a total of 12 minutes of control time, sucking the energy out of the building. And what makes this even worse is that uh, Marina would then proceed after this to actually have a good fight. So, just made no sense. Chaos Williams would then take on Rolando Bedoya in a striking battle. 149 significant strikes, 130 would result in a split decision win for Chaos Williams, but nothing really memorable. Kenny and Chukwu would then submit Devin Clark in round number two with a guillotine choke in a somewhat interesting fight, but at the same time, nothing memorable. But then, arguably, arguably, one of the best, probably the best moment of the whole um, card was on the prelims as New Jersey native Matt Frivola would shockingly KO Drew Dobercold in round number one, earning a performance bonus and just, just honestly having the best moment of the night. Then we get into the main card, and Charles Jordan would beat Cron Gracie. Uh, Cron Gracie unfought in four years as Cron literally just pulled guard on the ground. He was acting like it was a jiu-jitsu fight. Uh, Charles kept it on the feet, outstruck him. Such a boring fight to open the main card. But then there was hope again as Mozafar Evlog took on the debuting, I mean, Diego Lopez, this Diego Lopez guy stepping in on short notice. No one knew anything about this kid. I mean, the only thing we knew about Diego Lopez is he had been on season five of Daylight's Contender Series two years ago, had a lost unanimous decision in that fight, and boy, were we introduced to a future featherweight main eventer. Oh my gosh. The undefeated Mosvar Evlov would take down Diego Lopez and Diego would throw in a submission. And he had four, four submission attempts where I thought that it was over for Mosvar. He had, he had arm bars. He had leg locks. He had triangle chokes. He had guillotines. And Mosvar would not go away. This one fight of the night, if anything, it was just to give Diego 50K. The kid was super impressive. And this would actually give Mosvar his next bout before uh, fighting Arnold Allen coming up. So... This was one last challenge for him, and this was a good fight. And after that, after that fight, we had Jan Chayonen 
shockingly KOing Jessica and Josh Cold in two minutes, earning a 50k performance bonus. This was so entertaining. Loved it for Jan Chaon and sucked to see for Jessica and Josh. Very interesting. And then we got into our co-main event. And like everything, when you get a fight of the night, a performance bonus, and then a doozy, it really drains the energy. And we watched Bilal Muhammad casually outstrike Gilbert Burns through five straight rounds. Gilbert did not look him his normal self this whole fight. Come to find out, he, I'm pretty sure, broke his hand, broke his arm. He broke something in round number one and did nothing the rest of the fight. It was really depressing, especially knowing that Bilal won. Uh, everyone was booing. This fight sucked. Then, you know, we get to the main event, Aljamain Sterling, Henry Cejudo, and I don't want to call it bad. Because it was a competitive bout. It was very competitive, down to the wire, a grappling fest. There were even good striking. And, you know, round one, I gave Aljamain Sterling round one. I gave Henry Cejudo round two. I gave Aljamain round three. Aljamain round four. And Henry Cejudo round number five. So it was competitive, but nothing memorable. And it went the whole distance. And after Blom, Hoban, and Gilbert Burns... There is just little to be desired for the rest of this event. So that's why it lands at 13. Not too many memorable moments. All I remember is it was Diego Lopez debut and Matt Frivola got probably the highlight of his career. So honestly, knowing that, congratulations. Getting in at number 12, um, UFC 286. It's in the bottom half of pay-per-views of the year due to the fact that out of the 14-fight card, there was only one, two, three, four, five finishes. This was a decision card. UFC 286 headlined by Leon Edwards and Kamru Usman. It was their trilogy fight. Um, went going down in London, England. Lovely. In March. Um, where was I for all these events? Um, UFC 289 I actually watched on my basement in my on my phone as my mom and her uh, sister and her friend visiting. So um, they got my bedroom. So um, I was in the basement. UFC 288, I was at my girlfriend's. And UFC 286, I watched before I went to my friend's house for a party and kind of while we were at the party, and I kind of stopped watching it throughout. But um, yeah, actually, that's what I was going to mention. I, I just remember that now. I kind of just said that loud, but I was going to mention where I was for each of these, which is kind of what played into me uh, giving the review it did. So this one just didn't really leave anything interesting. Let me just give you the breakdown of UFC 286, just because of how how boring it was. We started off, Veronica Hardy beats Juliana Miller by an Amps decision, woman's flyweight bout. Exactly what I mentioned, a boring woman's fight to open the card. Jai Herbert and Louis Klein would then have a majority decision draw. Nothing entertaining. Joanne Wood would then beat Louiana Carolina in the split decision. Nothing interesting. Then, Jake Hadley would KO Malcolm Gordon with a body shot a minute into round one, earning a performance bonus finally giving us something exciting. After that, Christian Leroy Duncan would uh, have his UFC debut against Dusko Todorovic, and not even two minutes in, Dusko gets hurt, and the fight is stopped, giving Christian Leroy Duncan the win, but we all know that it wasn't. But then, Leroy Murphy would have a split decision win over Gabriel Santos in a very competitive featherweight bout, but it wasn't that memorable as, you know, it just it kind of showed that Leroy wasn't ready for a jump up into the rankings and that uh, Gabriel Santos can kind of hang, but nothing much there. Following that, I mean, we did have an interesting moment where uh, Muhammad Wokayev would uh, take on Rafael Filo on short notice, and Muhammad would actually submit him in round number three in a very competitive fight. Muhammad's leg, I'm pretty sure, was broken in this, so it was a good moment. Probably deserved 50K, but nothing too memorable. Knowing where Muhammad Wokayev ended up now, the rising flyweight contender was super impressive here. 
Following that, Yanal Ashmaz would KO Sam Patterson in a minute and 15 seconds. Earning a little bit of excitement. Following that, Chris Duncan would be Omar Morales in a grappling fest for a bicep decision. Nothing interesting there. Then in our final prelim, Jack Shore would submit Maquan Americani in round number two in a one-sided bout. Yeah. Kicking off the main card, Marvin Vittori beat Roman Dolodize by unanimous decision in a boring striking bout. Nothing much went down. And if you want to know what happens next, women's flyweight, Jennifer Maya, who hadn't won her last three fights, outboxes undefeated Casey O'Neill. So boring. Following that, though, we did have a good performance of the night bonus by uh, Gunnar Nelson submitting Brian Barberino with an arm bar with nine seconds left in round number one. Pretty entertained there. It was a grapple fest. Then the best moment of the night in the co-main event as Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fazeev put on a fight of the night, a bloody war majority decision to Justin Gaethje. Very entertaining. and just showed how good both of those men are. Main event comes around. And Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman, the trilogy, was so boring. Leon Edwards went as a majority decision. I mean, just nothing really went on. Nothing went on. Leon kind of casually outclassed Kamar Usman, if you want to call it that. If you want to call it that, I mean, I, I, I guess he outclassed him, but just, just not much went on. That's all I can say. There's just, there was little to be desired, I think is the correct word. For this one, um, you know, I've seen Leon one good moment in the London crowd, but just a boring five round fight. I think I tapped out after round number two or whatever. Maybe my uh, stream on the low key wasn't working. Just kidding, Dana. I buy every event. Moving on to number 11, UFC 292 going down in Boston, Massachusetts in August. Headlined by Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley for the men's bantamweight championship. And, um... You know, there was some good moments, but just a lot of just average. That's what I'll say. A lot of average. Now, um, the good moments were towards the end. So that's what kind of saved this from the bottom. But other than that, not too much. We do kick off the night with Kareem Silva beating uh, Marina Moroz in round number one with a guillotine choke with a second left Kareem Silva surging women's flyweight prospect, which I was very happy about. And then we got our typical woman's decision as Natalie Silva would just outbeat Andre Lee through three rounds. 70 significant strikes of 43. Not much. Andre Petrowski would then be tested for the first time in his career against Gerald Mearshart, winning a split decision. Um, very competitive fight, but did show holes in Andre Petrowski's gameplay. Following that, we had our fight of the night as Brad Katona beat Cody Gibson in the uh, men's ultimate fighter bantamweight final. Brad Katona becoming the first two-time winner in a very competitive striking bout. Then, following that, Kurt Holobo would beat Austin Hubbard. I could not believe it to win the men's Ultimate Fighter lightweight division, submitting him with a triangle choke in round number two. Austin Hubbard, this was your fight to lose. I'm actually excited to see Kurt compete next so I can pick against him. I have no idea how he's made it this far. I'm so confused. Amazing moment next as Gregory Rodriguez would finish Dennis Tallulan in uh, just under two minutes of round number one with a brutal TKO. Literally walked over, picked him up, slammed him down, and started laying some nasty ground and pound on him, some elbow stoppages. Uh, some, el some elbows would stop the fight is what I was trying to say. And just, uh, gosh, just super unique. It's just super unique finish. In our, um, what am I trying to say? In our prelim final, oh my gosh, if I can slip on my words some more, um, Brad Tavares would beat the returning Chris Weidman two years after Chris Weidman broke his foot, and Brad would just casually outstrike him. 
actually, uh, kind of, never mind, never mind. I thought there was a correlation, but um, there wasn't. Brad Tavares beating Chris Weidman, I'd compare it to, what could I compare it to? I would compare it to a weathered T-Rex um, chomping on a weathered triceratops. That's how I would describe it. Just, just messy. I have no idea what that correlation is. Kicking off our main card, we had Marlon Chito Vera and Pedro Munoz. And Marlon Vera would just casually outstrike him through three rounds, 141 significant strikes, 113, getting a unanimous decision win. Following that, Mario Bautista would beat Damon Blackshear in a competitive fight, which saw grappling, it saw striking, but nothing much overall. After that, Ian Gary would destroy Neil Magny through uh, three straight rounds. I don't know how he didn't finish him. He uh, took him down. He nut rocked him on the feet. He destroyed his legs. Couldn't get the job done, though. Remember, I was watching this, though, at my uh, girlfriend's house, and we're just chilling on her bed. And um, I'm just, I was kind of hyped that Ian Gary was destroying him, but, uh, you know, just nothing too much. But then, some of the rare occurrences where a five-round woman's fight was super entertaining, as I watched watched I watched Zhang Wei Li, your woman's strawweight champion, defender belt against Alanda Limos, and utterly destroy her through five straight rounds, earning a performance bonus for it. I mean, totals from the fight, a knockdown for Zhang Wei Li in the fifth, 163 significant strikes to 24, 296 total strikes to 29 in favor of Zhang Wei Li, six of seven on takedown, 16 minutes control time. This was so bloody, and my most favorite statistic of the fight, round five, 114 total strikes to one. I have no idea how Amanda Lemos didn't give up in this fight. It showed her heart, but Zhang Weili proved she's the greatest woman strawweight on the planet. Getting into our main event, of course, we all know the story. Sean O'Malley and Aljamain Sterling. Boring round one. The biggest moment was Aljamain Sterling shooting for a takedown, getting stuffed. We get into round two. Not even 30 seconds in. O'Malley hits Sterling with the right, drops into the ground, lands some follow-up punches, and in round two, not even a minute and 51 seconds in round number two, Sean O'Malley was your new bantamweight champion. So the final of main event and co-main event saved us from uh, being a lower, just because of how the other events turned out. But um, yeah, over other than that, not nothing too memorable. Most memorable moment from this people will remember is probably Sean O'Malley. Um, he'll probably outshine Zhang Wei Li, but Zhang Wei Li, I'll remember you. I'll remember your incredible performance. Trust me. I'll never forget you, my Asian queen, Zhang Wei Li. Yes. By the way, big Zhang Wei Li fan, in case anyone wants to know. Um, I didn't pick her against Rose Namajunas, though, the second time, so guess I'm not the biggest fan. Anyways, moving past that, to get into our top ten. I mean, crazy. I've only talked about, four, what, four so far? At number ten, we have our final pay-per-view of the year. It went down in December in Las Vegas at the T-Mobile Arena, I'm pretty sure. UFC 296, Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington in the main event for the Men's Welterweight Championship. And, um, yeah, we'll just take you through everything, because this was a roller coaster. This was this was a roller coaster. Let me, let me start off. We kick off the night with five straight finishes, all right? Absolutely insane. So we start off, Shamil Gaziev, his UFC debut, beats Martin Boudet via round two TKO, who hadn't lost in 12 straight fights. Shamil having an incredible UFC debut. Place was going crazy. Outstruck him 49 to eight significantly. An incredible round two TKO. Following that, Andre Feely, on a little rough patch, knocks out Lucas Almeida three and a half minutes in the round number one. Cold, amazing moment for touchy-feely. And in his post-fight interview said he likes big booty Latinas. Andre, you have interesting taste. 
Following that, we had a flyaway bout where Cody Durden lost to Tagir Olimbekov. Oh my gosh, Tagir came to fight. The decision machine Tagir Olimbekov was taken on Cody Durden, who was on a four-fight win streak, and would proceed to drop him, have two takedown attempts, five submission attempts, and he would submit him four and a half minutes into round number two. With 35 seconds left, I mean, impressive stuff, Tagir. He trains with the Magomedovs. He trains with the Habibs, Yora, Makachev. So this is a Dagestani boy by nature. Following that, Ariana Lipsky would submit Casey O'Neill in round number two, earning a performance bonus. Incredible stuff here for Ariana Lipsky. Unranked, um, was pretty much on no one's radar at women's flyweight, but in 2023 went 3-0, and capping it off with a big submission over uh, Casey O'Neill. Loved to see it. And then Cody Garbrandt. Oh my gosh, people were wondering, does he still have it in him? Knocks out Brian Kelleher in round number one. A one-punch knockout. Absolutely amazing. So happy for No Love Garbrandt. Basically saying he's back. He called out Devison Figueredo. I loved it. Tough out for Brian Kelleher, but Garbrandt, you uh, definitely deserve 50K. Shouldn't give it to him. And then, this is something you'll rarely hear me say, but I witnessed the best fight on the card. The fight of the night was a woman's bantamweight bout between Irene Aldana and Carol Rosa unbelievable. You just heard that right. A woman's bantamweight bout that went the distance was the best fight of the night. And guess what? It is easily top five or I, this is bold. Top three fight of the year. It was incredible. Irene Aldana and Carol Rosa. Carol Rosa absolutely destroyed the leg of Irene Aldana. Both women were bleeding. I don't know how Carol Rosa was still standing. I mean, 204 significant strikes, 145. Irina got outstruck by Carol, but was still dealing damage. This fight was incredible. And as of as of that fight, we were a perfect 6-0 on fights. And then we ran into Alonzo Menfield and Dustin Jacoby, which I'm going to I'm I'm give it a W. I'm going to say this was a W fight. It was good. It was competitive. It showed um, just the heart of both these guys. They were both eating big shots. Dustin got dropped and got back up. Um, and I very much enjoyed it. Um, very much enjoyed it. Um, wasn't as good. You know, it's hard to follow up five straight good finishes and then a fight of the night with this. But this was a good fight. After that, we got into our main card, and we all know how UFC 296 started out with Josh Emmett landing a one-punch KO, getting 50K performance bonus for it. I mean, it was a lot of people's KO of the year. I gave it to Adesanya because it was for the belt, but this was just shocking. And Bryce Mitchell started having a little seizure on the ground. Oh, my goodness, Josh Emmett, you've got the power. Following that, we had Patty Pimlet and Tony Ferguson, and, you know, round one, I mean, Patty destroyed Tony, should have finished him, and looked very promising, and the next two rounds, he just took Tony down and outgrappled him, and nothing happened, and it, I'm not going to say it took the energy out of everything, but if you, watching round one, it was so entertaining, I was out of my seat, um, by the way, UFC uh, 292, I mentioned at my girlfriend's, UFC 296, watched it at my house, I think by myself. I was I alone watching this. I I honestly can't remember. I I think I was alone. I I'm actually having a terrible time remembering. This went down December sixteenth. Was my girlfriend over? I think she might have been over. Gosh, I have no idea. Was my family over? I don't know where I was. Anyway, getting back on track. Um, Patty Pimblet unanimous decision. Just kind of boring. Then Shavkar Rachmanov, you know, despite Shavkar Rachmanov submitting Wonderboy Thompson in round number two, um, improving to 18-0, I mean, it was kind of a boring fight. 
Shavkat just pressuring for a takedown. I mean, just, just I, I don't know. He, he ended up submitting Wonderboy, but just wasn't that exciting. I, I wanted more. I want more from this. Um, Shavkat got it done. Very impressed by him, but you know what? He'll get a tail shot next, but I, I, I just it was kind of boring. It was just kind of a boring, boring fight. Um, co-main event, though, I would say it was more entertaining than this. The co-main event was the flyweight title shot, title fight between Alexander Pantoa and Brandon Royval, and it was Pantoa's first title defense. I mean, he really used his grappling against Royval. Eight takedowns against Royval in this fight. Eight of 14 for 15 minutes and 51 seconds of control time. Kind of boring and just not that entertaining, uh, but more entertaining than the main event between Leon and Kobe Covington. We already know how boring that fight was. Just wow. Just wow. Quite honestly, I uh, I lost uh, probably an hour of my life watching that fight. Just a waste of time. And uh, the only thing that landed this at number 10 was how good the prelims were in the opening fight on the main card. And that's all you guys need to know about UFC 296. Coming in at number 9, we're heading back to our first pay-per-view of the year all the way back in January. UFC 283 going down in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, um, headlined by uh, Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill for the vacant men's light heavyweight championship. And this one was loaded with finishes. Oh man, some good ones too. Kicked off the evening with Daniel Marcos remaining a perfect, uh, I believe at the time, 14-0. TKOing Salmon Oliveira with knees in round number 2. We would then have Josie and Nunez beating Zara Farron by unanimous decision in a woman's featherweight bout. Typical boringness. Nicholas Dalby would then beat Walray Olivares via split decision. Nothing too exciting. And then a KO of the year nominee as Ishmael Bonfim hit a crazy round two, flying knee on Terrence McKinney, hitting him on the chin, and planting him face first on the mat out cold. That was a cool moment. We would then watch Cody Stammen uh, beat Luana Lacerda, Luan Lacerda by an decision. Good win for him. Then Holt Almeida would earn a performance bonus for his destructive performance of Shamila Durkimov. 45 significant strikes to one in his round two TKO. Gabriel Bonfim would then remain a perfect 50-0, spitting Manier Lezez in 49 seconds. Tiago Moises would uh, beat the uh, debuting Melchus Alcasta in round number two with a rear naked choco. Bruno Ferro would shockingly KO Gregory Rodriguez by uh, uh, in, four, in round number one. Don't know how he didn't get 50K. I don't know why they only gave out two 50Ks uh, performance bonuses in this. Absolutely must not have made any money. Um, final prelim of the night, Iora Patero would retire Mauricio Ruo with a round one TKO. Very sad. Getting into the main card, Johnny Walker would TKO Paul Craig in two minutes with a crazy uh, flurry of uh, hammer fist punches. Absolutely love that. Jessica Andrade would then annihilate Lauren Murphy's face. 231 significant strikes to 100. That was dominant. Gilbert Burns would then submit Neil Magny in round number one with an arm triangle after just taking him down. I mean, simple work there. Brian Moreno and Davison Figueredo would engage in a competitive bout, sadly ending after round number three as Figueredo's eye had swelled up. And then Jamal Hill would treat Glover to share like a punching bag in their fight in the night unanimous decision victory for Jamal Hill. This was a pretty good, a lot of good moments, but, um, you know, I just, um, I, I don't really remember where I was for this, I'm pretty sure I was at a party. I'm probably at my friend's house watching for a party, and this I was just watching this on my phone. But um, that's kind of why it lands here. But other than that, this was a pretty good event. It was a pretty good event looking back on it. Um, a lot of cool moments, but uh, nothing too memorable. That's that's the issue. A lot of cool moments, nothing too memorable. 
Coming in at number 8, we have UFC 284, headlined by Islam Makhachev and Alexander Volkanovsky, which went down in Perth, Australia in February. Kicked off the card, Elvis Brenner made his debut against Uberto Tuhigov, winning a split decision. Blake Bilder would beat Shane Young by a decision. Luma Luke Boomi would then submit Elise Reed, getting a win for the hometown Australians. Jack Jenkins would then take Don Shanus to kickboxing school, destroying his legs. Jamie Malarque would win a unanimous decision. Clemson Rodriguez would defeat Shannon Ross in round number one with the TKO, which is absolutely hilarious as Shannon Ross hilariously went 0 3 in 2023, getting knocked out. And three straight fights. Two in under a minute. Once he got knocked on 17 seconds. After that, Josh Kuliabo would submit Melsic Bagdasarian, showing grappling can win fights. Modestus Bukakis would step in on short notice to beat uh, Tyson Pedro, um, which was kind of a cool moment for him. Then we get to the main card, and it's kicked off with an awkward win for, uh, or not a win, a draw between Jimmy Crute and Alonzo Menfield. Basically, Alonzo Menfield uh, would drop Jimmy Crute or just rock him on the feet, and Jimmy Crute would land a takedown. Very awkward fight, but a uh, very cool moment, um, ending in a draw. After that, Justin Taffa would knock out Parker Porter in round number one with a crazy hammer fist of punches, sending him face first to the mat. Jack Della Madalena would get a round one Rene Choke of Randy Brown in a dominating performance. Yair Rodriguez would win the interim featherweight championship in a performance of the night. Round two triangle choke over Josh Emmett. Competitive fight. Both men went for it. And of course, one of the fight of the year's nominees, the most competitive fight of the year probably, is Islam Makachev. And actually not the most competitive, but up there, up there is Islam Makachev. And Alexander Volkanovsky went to battle Islam winning uh, three rounds to two. Very competitive, very decent card overall, um, and that's just kind of where it lands. At number eight, I mean, I have nothing really bad to say. I will just say that the prelims were not memorable, weren't that good. So it's very making cards the best part about this um, type of event, which is why it lands here. But um, nothing to complain about at all. This was this was very good. This was very entertaining. And um, yeah, I remember watching it at my girlfriend's house. That's where I end up watching a lot of these, it seems to see. Coming in at number 7, UFC 293, which went down in September in Sydney, Australia. I didn't even plan having the Australian events back to back. Kicking the card off, we had back-to-back -back round one. Rear naked chokeholds, Kevin Doucette over Kiefer Crosby and Gabriel Miranda over Shane Young. Pretty cool. Charles Radke would then uh, basically retire Blood Diamond after being in by a decision. Because uh, Blood Diamond clearly sucks. Nazareth Cockpass were out with outstrike Landon Kionez, unanimous decision. Jamie Malarkey would outstrike John McDessie, unanimous decision. Chepe Mariscal and Jack Jenkins' potential fight of the night would sadly end after Jack Jenkins got injured in round number two. Carlos Uberg would then uh, have a good, pretty good performance over Dawoon Jung, um, outstriking him, ending up on the ground, and with 11 seconds left, submitting him. Tyson Pedro would kick off our main card with a two-minute knockout of Anton Turkaljic. Very entertaining. Justin Taffa would follow that up with a performance of the night knockout of Austin Lane in the rematch. Manel Cape and Felipe Dos Santos would have a fight of the night competitive flyweight bout. Uh, very much love that bite. Bite fight. Um, Alexander Volkov would then submit Ty Tuivasa in round number two with an Ezekiel choke. Yeah, that was a sloppy win for him. Did knock tight out them, which was good for him. And then the most shocking moment, which is why it lands at number seven, as Adesanya, hometown crowd of Australia, he would lose to Sean Strickland by unanimous decision. Even getting knocked down in round number one, Sean would get performance of the night for this and the middleweight bah championship. 
very cool moment. Main card, probably the best part about this, um, even though the main event was kind of boring, kind of boring. But, um, yeah, it's just Lancer, just kind of the shock value and uh, three of the good finishes on the main card. That's just and plus I was watching it at um, one of my friend's houses. Uh, it was her birthday and she was having everyone over and I was watching this on my phone at her counter and a bunch of random guys were just circling around me watching it just like cheering on and stuff. And one kid I actually had on snap and I ran into him again at a bar in uh, Minneapolis, which is like two hours from where I go to college. So it was, it was pretty, pretty entertaining there. But uh, yeah, it lands at seven. Just for uh, just for those reasons. Coming in at number six, we have UFC 294, Makachev versus Volkanovski 2 for the lightweight championship, which went down in Abu Dhabi, the UAE, in October. And um, yeah, it's a pretty good event. I remember I uh, woke up early to watch this, and then I went over to my buddy's house and we watched it. We bought the main card, had a little drinking fest all day, watched college football. Some fun time. Kicking off the card, we had Shara Magomedov, the debuting one-eyed Dagestani fighter, would destroy Bruno Silva from ground strikes. I mean, Bruno Silva landed three takedowns and proceeded to get outstruck 113 to 65 significantly. Victoria Dudikova would then win her debut over Jin Yu Frey, unanimous decision. Mohamed Naivov winning unanimous decision over Nathaniel Wood in a bit controversial as Muhammad Naimov might have been cheating a bit. Mike Breeden would then have a wild comeback win over Unshul Jubilee, knocking him out in round number three. Cedric Dubas and Abu Azatira put on a boring fight. Javid Bashrat would then kick Victor Henry in the nuts, be mad that he kicked him in the nuts, and it would be a no contest. Super awkward. Then Trevor Peak and Mohamed Yaya would engage in a pretty competitive lightweight bout going three rounds, some grappling, some striking, some hard punching. Gotta love it. Then, in our final prelim of the night, Mohamed Mokayev would get another round three finish, his third round three finish, as he would beat Tim Elliott by arm triangle in just a competitive bout, earning 40, earning, earning 45, earning 50Ks, 50Gs performance bonus for this incredible. Kicking off the main card, Sayyidur Magomedov waits no business over Muin Gofurov, wraps in a standing guillotine choke, submitting him, gaining a performance bonus in just a minute, 13 seconds. Nick Ramalkasarov walked in next against Walray Alvarez and said, you know what, I want a performance tonight. I want $50,000, and he knocked out Walray in two minutes. Another incredible thing. Basically dropped him with a punch and then just beat his face in on the mat. Oh my gosh. Following that, we did have a doozy with Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker, which ended up in a no contest. They're rematching, though, to kick off January, so it all worked out. Kind of an awkward moment. Then Hamza Chimaev would beat Kamaru Usman in a majority decision. Kind of a boring fight. Very competitive, I'll say, but um, Hamza should have finished him in round one. Shoulda, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but, man, competitive fight there. The main event, of course, Islam Makachev defending his belt, getting a performance of the night as he head kick knocked out Alexander Volkanovsky in three minutes. I was watching this with all my buddies. My buddy's parents were there. Oh my gosh. Me and his dad were just like, this is, this is absolutely nuts. I can't, I can't believe this is happening. And man, it was, it was pretty shocking to watch Volkanovsky go down that next. We'd all picked Volkanovsky, but um, Islam Makhchev remains supreme. Abu Dhabi, you landed at number six on the list. Get into our top five. This is where things, um, I had to break things down a bit because all of these were pretty, pretty fire. Coming in at number five, we have UFC 287, which went down in Miami, Florida in April, headlined by Alex Barra and Israel Asanya. They're rematching the UFC for the men's middleweight championship. 
Kicking off the card, Sam Hughes got a boring decision over Jacqueline and Morin, but what I tell you, woman's strawway belt always always got a woman's fight boring. Uh, Steve Garcia and Shailene Nerdy and Beak would then have a striking battle, which resulted in both men landing knockdowns before Steve Garcia's knockdown would result in a knockout in round number two. Ignacio Bahamides would then outstrike Trey Ogden to a unanimous decision. Lupi Godinez would win a split decision. Then Joe Pfeiffer would get a dominant three-minute TKO of Gerald Mearshart lighting the place on fire. That was a cool moment. Um, following that, Luis Panero would win a split decision over Michelle Warson Gomez. Feature prelim, uh, Kevin Gesselum would beat uh, Chris Curtis in a fight of the night. Very competitive. But uh, judging how Kelvin finished his year was... Uh, Kind of misled on how good this would be. Then we get into the main card, and the reason that this lands at number five is because of how good the good moments are in here. So the main card had uh, the five fights. Three of them were good. First one was a doozy. We watched Raul Rosas Jr. dominate Christian Rodriguez in round number one, the 18-year-old kid, and then completely gas out and get dominated through two more rounds. A very dull start to this main card. But then... Kevin Holland would have a great striking bout with Santiago Ponzinibbio, resulting in a one-punch knockout in round number three. Dill, one of those, like, he kind of leans forward as Santiago is going back, clips some, Santiago goes down to the mat, a couple follow-up punches, and that was that. That was fire. Following that up, a performance of the night as Rob Font would knock out Adrian Giannis in dominant fashion. I mean, oh my gosh, his head's that back, he hit the mat. Rob Font was on point at this event. Very good moment for Rob Font. Call main event. Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal were supposed to put on a show in Miami. Instead, Gilbert Burns just outgrappled Jorge through three straight rounds. Four takedowns for what was it? Five minutes and 41 seconds of control time. Nothing happened in that fight. But the main event is what lands this year. I remember I was watching some of my girlfriends. We were all kind of cuddled up. She was kind of laying on my chest. I'm watching on signing pair. Okay, competitive round one. I'm saying, okay, okay, round number two. Still competitive, still competitive. Oh, Adesanya is up against the fence. Is Pereira going for the kill? Wait, Adesanya clips him. Oh, he wobbled him. One more big punch. He's down. Lands a follow-up. He's knocked out cold. I throw her off me. She's all pissed that I like woke her up or whatever. I'm running around her room going, this is the craziest knockout I've ever seen. An amazing moment. Absolutely loved it. Adesanya, you won KO of the year for this and saved UFC 2 87. It was so exciting. It was so exciting. I didn't know what to do. So I had to jump up and do a couple laps around her room. I mean, I was I was absolutely loving that. Not Asanya. Man, showing how good he was here. Coming in at number four, we have UFC 285 going down in March of March 4th of this year in Las Vegas. I was watching this at my cousin's house in his basement. We were cooking up bets, uh, dropping our predictions for this, and uh, man. This one was fun to watch. Kicking it off, we had a uh, fight between Loic Radzabov and Esteban Rybovich. Very odd one at lightweight as Loic landed 11 takedowns but ended up getting dropped by Esteban. Very weird there. Unanimous decision opened that. Freed Basharat would remain undefeated to be defeating Demond Blackshear by unanimous decision. Okay. Tabitha Ritchie would then submit Jessica Panay round number two with an armbar. Interesting. Cameron Saman would have a dominating performance over Amanda Martinez, win a majority decision. Fun stuff there. Ian Gary would have his third UFC fight, TKOing Sanki Non in round number three in a little comeback fight. Very good stuff there. Mark Andre Brauerut would TKO Julian Marquez in round number two. Very impressive. Amanda Hibas would then beat Vivian Rujo by unanimous decision. Very interesting fight there. 
Um, following that, we would then have Driscus Duplessis engage in one of the weirdest fights with Derek Brunson, as um, he would seemingly dominate him through two rounds, and Derek Brunson's corner would throw in the towel in like round number two. Very awkward. Didn't know what to do with that, but fun moment. Cody Garbrandt would then um, win a unanimous decision over Trevin Jones. Good, good win for him. Uh, not the most exciting fight. So Ian Gary and Driscus Duplessis kind of carried the prelims. But then we got into the main card. And when I tell you this is one of the better main cards, I meant it. We kick it off by watching Bo Nickel submit Jamie Pickett in round number one. And it was just kind of weird to watch. Bo Nickel just go across, take down Jamie Pickett. I mean, first off, he starts off, throws a spinning kick, falls to the mat. Everyone kind of laughs like, oh my gosh, this guy's not legit. Proceeds to just fire off a takedown attempt, gets him down, holds him in an arm triangle until Jamie can't take anymore. Gets a performance of the night. Amazing stuff from Bo. Following that, Matus Gamera and Jalen Turner engage in just the typical Jalen Turner fight. Starts off strong with a knockdown, then proceeds to gas out and gets grappled by Matus Gamera to a split decision win for Gamera. Unfortunate, but that's what happens, Jalen. So that was kind of boring, but then Shavkat Rachmanov and Jeff Neal gave us a fight of the night, one of the best fights of the year, which resulted in a round three standing rear naked choke for Shavkat Rachmanov. Kind of put him in the big brother, stand behind you, kind of cranking your neck. Oh, it was beautiful. The basement was going on fire. Absolutely loved it. Emotions were so high. And then... The co-main event, the upset of the year. Oh my gosh, this this was as, de- as almost as big an upset. It might have been bigger. I think it might have been bigger than Sean Strickland Asanya as Alexa Grasso submitted Valentina Shevchenko in round number four, earning the performance of the night and the Women's Flyweight Championship. Incredible, Alexa. I mean, that's what lands it here at number four. It was just too good. It was such a good moment. And it's just the shock factor watching like Valentina's good tap. Oh my gosh, Valentina's good champ. And she did amazing. In the main event, yes, this is what it's this is the reason why it's at four and not higher, is because of course John Jones, Ciro gone. Um in the main event, it's just basically because John Jones walked across, took Ciro gone down, wrapped up a guillotine choke and submitted up, and in two minutes it was over, and it was the fastest two minutes of anyone's life. You're kinda like, oh that that's it? Like, uh John, John Jones won. He's, oh, he's that good. Uh, oh, I thought Cyril Gunn would make this more competitive. Nope. John Jones winning this one. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. That was that. John Jones wins. Wrap on the night. But other than that, I mean, just amazing main card. Can't ask for much more with some of these good finishes. And not to hate on the John Jones performance because it was amazing, but it was just so fast. You're kind of like, oh, that that's it. Okay. Wow. Beats me. Let's get into our top three here. Wrap this up. This is going on a bit longer than intended. But uh, yeah, coming in at number three, UFC 295. Went down in November in New York City at Madison Square Garden. Headlined by Jury Prochaska and Ox Pera for the Men's Light Heavyweight Championship. This was a fun one. I watched this at my house alone. I think I... Oh, I was sick for UFC 296. Yes, I was sick at home. I was sad I was sick. This fight I watched... Um, this card I watched at home. I'm pretty sure alone. But even though I was alone, I was still hype. You know me. You know how I get. Yeah. Um, Coming in at a... Oh, wait. No. Kicking off the prelims. That's how I meant to start my sentence. Jamal Emmers getting a 49-second knockout of Dennis Bazooka. Good moment for him. Loved it. Then, Joshua Van, the 21-year-old, stepping on short notice again... Beats Kevin Borjas, unanimous decision, boom. John Costanda, Minnesota native, beats Kyung Ho Kang by unanimous decision, boom. 
Jared Gordon, then getting a nasty knockout of Mark Madsen, knocking him out cold in round number one. Good moment for him. Then, the one fight I missed, because I was out with my friends getting uh, margaritas at a uh, Mexican restaurant, Nazim Sadikov and Vincheslav Borshev fight to a draw in a fight of the night in what is one of the most competitive fights of the year. Good moment there. Matus Rebecca would then submit Roosevelt Roberts on short notice with an armbar. Tough stuff there. Luby Godinez would win a split decision, capping off what I believe is a perfect 4-0 in 2023 for Lupi. Good stuff for her. Steve Ersig would then beat Alessandro Casta by unanimous decision. And then we get into one of, if not the best, main cards of the year. This main card was absolutely amazing. Kicking us off, Diego Lopez TKO's Pat Sabatini in round number one, proving that Diego Lopez is as legit as he says he is. Following that, Benoit Saint-Denis putting his name in the KO of the Year uh, nominee as he gets 50k performance bonus for knocking out Matt Provola with a head kick a minute and a half into round number one. Incredible. If you thought we couldn't top that, Jessica Andrade, TKOs, actually just straight up knocks out Mackenzie Dern in round number two, and in a eight minute and 15 second period, landed four knockdowns on Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie could not hang with Jessica Andrade. We then get into our co-main event, Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich, the battle of the heavyweights, and a minute in, Tom lands a clean right, knocks Sergey down, lands one follow-up punch, and Tom Aspinall is your new interim heavyweight champion and Obviously, without a doubt, the comeback fighter of the year. Shocker. Absolutely shocking. I I absolutely loved it, Tom. Then, the main event to put the icing on the cake. Alex Pajara and Jiri Prochaska do not depoint as Alex Pajara TKOs Jiri in round number two, becoming the new light heavyweight champion and earning a performance bonus. Five main card fights, five finishes, five performance bonuses. An amazing main card. One of the best cards of the year. That's why it lands at number three on our list. Absolutely love this. And I was hype. You know, I, I was hype. And I was alone in my house. Super hype. That makes it sound sad. It wasn't sad, though. It was hype. Alrighty. Let's get into our number two drum roll, please. And it is UFC 291, headlined by Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje in their rematch five years in the making. Went down at the end of July in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this one was absolutely nuts, okay? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven fights. Only two went the distance. Amazing. We kick it off. Miranda Maverick grapples Priscilla Cashway to death, but gets a round three armbar, kind of saving it. Then, Euros Medic, Matthew Selmsberger have a striking clinic, resulting in a round three spinning back elbow for Euros Medic, getting the win. Jake Matthews would then submit Darius Flowers on short notice with a round two rear naked chokehold. Roman Kopilov would have one of the best KOs I've seen with a head kick knockout of Claudio Ribeiro. We then kind of took a break from the finishes with CJ Vergara and Vincia Salvador, CJ winning a typical decision. But then Gabriel Bontfim improved to 15-0 with a minute and 13 second guillotine choke of Trevin Giles. Incredible. We then kicked off the star-studded main card with Kevin Holland submitting Michael Chiesa in round number one with a Darce choke. Unbelievable. 
Then, following that, Bobby Green would destroy Tony Ferguson, outstriking him, taking him down, submitting him with an arm triangle with six seconds left. And then, my second favorite moment of the night, as Derek Lewis kicks off his fight against Marcos Joe de Lima with a flying knee, dropping him down, landing some follow-up punches, and a couple punches later, resulting in a 33-second TKO for the heavyweight king, Derek Lewis. Co-main event, Alex Pereira, Jan Blachowicz. Let me just tell you, Alex was the striker. Jan was the grappler. You get how it goes. Was it terrible? It wasn't that bad, but it certainly wasn't that entertaining. The main event, though, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, a performance of the night for Justin Gaethje. As round one, they went at it. I mean, they were cracking each other on the head. You could hear bone on bone, the skulls breaking in Justin and Dustin's heads. And... Out of nowhere, a minute in round number two, Justin Gaethje lands a head kick. Poirier goes out cold. Herb Dean stops in to save any unnecessary punishment as Justin Gaethje gets the round two knockout. Absolutely incredible. And honestly, I remember I watched this because I remember my girlfriend was over and she wanted to just be in the basement alone. And I was like, hey, no, I want to watch this with my family because I want more people to react to the fights. So we start off with Kevin Hall and Michael Kess. I'm like, all right, we'll watch one fight. Bobby Green and Tony Ferguson came out. I'm like, all right, we'll just watch one more. Then Derek Lewis and Marcos for Joe de Lima. And I was like, okay, we're going to watch one more after this. And after Alex Perrin Hamblehovich's doozy, I brought her downstairs. She was upset. And then she was mad at me because like, I told her we would go downstairs, but we didn't. And then Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier happened, and I was losing my mind, and I didn't care what she was saying, what, how she felt, because I was all about the UFC knockout. Oh my gosh, I'm such a freak. Sometimes I'm a freak in the sheets, baby. Austin Powers reference. And ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to our number one pay-per-view of 2023. Drum roll, please. It doesn't get much better than this. Your best pay-per-view of 2023. And mind you, the best event of any fight night or pay-per-view. UFC 290, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Yair Rodriguez, which went down July 8th in Las Vegas, Nevada. And you betcha I was at my cousin's house when this happened. Shout out Ryan Benecki. Always love to have you on an episode. Let's kick it off with the prelims. Obviously, prelims don't have to be that entertaining. We kick it off. Esteban Revovich casually beats Kamalu Kirk. But then, Jesus Aguilar. Jesus Aguilar. Jesus Christ, I love you. Um, his name is Jesus Aguilar. I know how to pronounce it in Espanol. Uh, knocks out Shannon Ross in 17 seconds. A one-punch knockout. Absolutely incredible. Following that, Cameron Saman absolutely dismantles Terrence Mitchell, TKOing him in three minutes. Then, Vito Petrino outgrapples Marcin Petrino to improve undefeatedly to, uh, what is he, 9-0 at the time with a round three arm triangle. Following that, Alonso Menfield would rematch Jimmy Crew. Remember we said they had a draw at UFC 2A4? In their rematch, Alonso Menfield submits him in round number two with a guillotine choke. Then after that, the biggest upset of the card as Denise, Go- actually not the biggest upset of the card, but betting-wise, betting-wise biggest upset as Denise Gomez shockingly TKOs the undefeated Yasmin Jaraguay in 20 seconds, blitzed her, dropped her, knocked her out cold, earned a performance of the night for it. Then Tatsuro Taera, my favorite Japanese boy, took on Edgar Cherez, and even though he got dropped, showed true heart, showed true grit, a little comeback win for Tatsuro Taera, proving he belongs in the top 15 at men's flyweight. Our final prelim of the night, Robbie Lawler says, this is it, 
I'm retiring. I'm going to go out on my shield. He took on Nico Price, all right, the legend, Robbie Lawler, former men's welterweight champion, knocks out Nico Price cold in 38 seconds. You can't go out any better way. I wish the Korean zombie could have, but Robbie Lawler did what so many wish they could and ended on a bang. A great moment to round off the prelims and a great KO. Suck it, Nico Price. Suck it. And then... We got into the main card. Bo Nickel opening up yet again a main card against Val Woodburn, stepping on short notice. I can't even remember who Bo Nickel was supposed to fight on this card. I, I, I honestly have no clue who he's supposed to fight. But Val Woodburn stepped in, all right, stepped up, proved that he's legit. But not legit enough as Bo Nickel TKO'd him on the feet in 38 seconds. Not on the feet. He dropped him with a punch. And the ref saw enough. Bo Nickel, the legend. I'll see you at UFC 300. He lit the building on fire. And then what all of us thought would be fight of the night between Dan Hooker and Jalen Turner. An incredible, incredible fight. I mean, Jalen Turner hit Dan Hooker with a head kick. I thought it would knock out anyone cold. It knocked out Dustin Poirier cold. Oh my gosh, Benoit Saint-Denis knocked out Matt Favola with a head kick. Dan Hooker's made us something more. Blonde Dan Hooker's a different breed. Dan Hooker would then rock Jalen Turner. And just like the Matus Gamrot fight we mentioned, Jalen Turner's uh gas tank started to fade and Dan Hooker pulled on the pressure one judge saw 29-28 Hooker one saw 29-28 Turner and ended up being a split decision win for the hangman Dan Hooker the building was on fire and then our third fight of the evening Driscus Duplessis taking on Robert Whitaker winner most likely getting a title shot and Driscus Duplessis would do something we had only seen Adesanya do, and that is TKO Robert Whitaker in round number two. Absolutely insane. Not two and a half minutes in round number two, by the way. I mean, he just put the pressure on Whitaker, dropped him with a jab, laid into him, and got the win. And look where Driscus is now, fighting for a belt in two weeks. Absolutely amazing. One of the biggest upsets of the year. No one saw that coming. Oh my gosh. And then... You just didn't think it would get any better. And Alexander Pantoa and Brand Moreno gave us the fight of the year here on the podcast, here on other shows, in a split decision win for Alexander Pantoa to become your new men's flyweight champion. Absolutely incredible. Love this fight. It was so competitive. It showed the heart of these two. It was bloody. It was brutal. And it had the, my cousin's basement on fire. All my cousins were down there, all four of us. My, I think my uncle was down there too. And we were just going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Loving it. It was amazing. And then to put the cherry on top of our Sunday, Alexander Volkanovsky mauled Yair to a dominant and entertaining round three TKO. I mean, just dominated him through round one, round two, was constantly looking to pound on him. And in round number three, towards the end, Yair landed one big punch, which kind of woke Volk up, and Volk fired back at him, picked him up, slammed him down, and TKO'd him into oblivion, retaining his featherweight championship. This card was amazing. If I could go back and relive any day, any any UFC event, it would be this one. Just because every fight added up on top of one another. So entertaining, so fun. And that is your best UFC pay-per-view of 2023. UFC 290. Wow. Absolutely incredible, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely incredible. And with that, 
I'll bring this episode to an episode 54 of the podcast coming to an end. Almost three hours. Wow, almost three hours. I mean, football took us, what, an hour and a half? My goodness. And then UFC took 52 minutes. I mean, you even tack on what I was talking about UFC earlier. Probably like an hour of UFC on here. I just love talking. Honestly, I've been told I should be a salesman. I should do public speaking more. You know what? We'll see. We'll see where my life's journey takes me. But folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. I appreciate all my listeners. I mean, as of right now, we have had 1,235 downloads of the podcast. That is absolutely incredible. That is absolutely incredible. I'm so blessed. I'm so appreciative. And I mean, just all over, I'm right, from the United States, across all 50 states. We're going to Belgium. We've had people download. In Somalia, Kenya, Zambia, France. France, we've had people. Nigeria, the United Republic of Tanzania, Uganda, Greece. I mean, oh my gosh, Algeria, Ireland, Spain, Argentina, United Kingdom. Guys, I appreciate everyone who listens. If you listen once, if you listen constantly, I am just so appreciative. And if you ever want to be a guest, hit me up. I'm always down to have a discussion about anything. All right, this is the Surprise Jab Podcast. We're here to surprise people, jab people with some new information. Always here for a good time. I'll wrap us up here on the pod. But guess what? I'll catch you all next time here on the Surprise Jab Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Season 2 coming at you before you know it.